All right, we're back. <laughs> I say as Arden blows her nose. I have a little. Quote. Oh my gosh, there's definitely pollen on there now. I'm so stupid. Yeah, there's a lot of pollen out here. I have a quote I'd like to begin the podcast with. It's okay. a quote from today's book, The Titan's Curse. Of course. Dreams like a podcast, downloading truth in my ears. They tell me cool stuff. That's a haiku from, from our Apollo. friend Apollo. Wait, say it one more time. Run that back. Dreams like a podcast, downloading truth in my ears. They tell me cool stuff. Yeah, well, ours are a lot of opinions, but I consider my opinion cool to stuff. be the truth Woo! as well. Logie, hit yourself. We're, we have Logie Bear with us today again. Let's yeah. see if he's a menace or if he'll don't. He's so far being a menace. But we're back on the Titan's Curse, which... When I was growing up and reading these books, The Titan's Curse was, like, my favorite book of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, a, it was a very good book to me as well. When I was younger, it was probably number three. Yeah. Like, and honestly, Last Olympian might have been number three when I was younger, though. Titan's Curse might have been number four. It was three or four. One of those. When I, when we would go on family vacations as a kid, and, like, I picked, like, one book to bring with me... It was sometimes the Titan's Curse. Like, if I picked any of the uh, books from Percy Jackson to bring, it was usually the Titan's Curse, sometimes the last one at the end. But those were, like, the two. And Titan's Curse was my favorite. Like, when I was listening to it this time around, I listened to a lot of Avril Lavigne while I was listening to it. Or while I was reading it. it. I was wondering. Because when I was reading it one time on a family road trip, that was when I was getting really into Avril Lavigne for the first time when I was, like, 10. Mm -hmm. And so many of those songs just absolutely slap. Like, it's so under my skin, that one specific Avril album is such a good Thalia Grace album. Like, song after song after song. so her Thalia Grace obsession continues. So many of them were also, like, specifically, like, so good, like, Thaluk songs. Like, there are some there that that's, like, just, like, all I associate with them. Thaluk, one of the best ships that never happened. It's true. Well, those are kind of the best sometimes. The ones that, like, there's, like, a glimmer of canon. I mean, Persebeth all the way still, you know what I mean? But... Yeah. In terms of ships that, like, aren't Persebeth that you could go for in the series, like, Pernico, mm-hmm. or Persico, or whatever the fuck it's called, um, and then Thalia and Luke are some of the good ones. Percy and Nico is basically canon, um, it's just not, like, canon together, it's just canon that there were romantic feelings one-sided yeah. there. I'm still honestly convinced that Percy could be bisexual. Honestly, that's a really big headcanon. A lot of people it like, is. believe that. It is. I think that... It'd um, be fun. I think Rick Rayer should let him be bisexual just as, like, a treat. Yeah. Know? Like, I just don't think it would make a difference, really. And I think that Annabeth could also be bisexual. Yeah. I just think that it's something, like... I mean, I, I think sexuality, honestly, within, like, literature and just society in general is seen as, you know, too... Too solid. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a very, like fluid thing. When, and when you get into like written stuff like novels specifically there's so much fun you can have with subtext that it's like, like even Thalia and Luke, like that's a relationship that's not explicitly canon in terms of like romantic, but there's obviously some sort of subtext there that like she cares for him deeply. Yeah. But also on the other hand, there's a there's subtext you can read into like the Thalia and Zoe. No, that's what I was gonna say. Book. I personally prefer Thalia and Zoe. Right? And honestly, like as I'm an, as like an adult, I am like Thalia and Zoe like all the way. Like yeah. they are like peak, like tragic, like angsty, like girls. Like I love honestly, it. 
Uncle Rick over here just didn't want to make... He didn't want to make sexuality a big thing in this first series. Yeah. But if he had, that 100% would have been a thing. Well, and I will say, like, there's another thing, too, in Last Olympian that kind of connects to this. There are chances in these books where Rick Riordan does have, like, these intense relationships between girls that could have been, like, yeah. gay ships. I think part of the reason why he holds off is, one, he's probably just not thinking about it at this stage. And, two... Most of them end with some of one with someone dying, yeah, <laughs> which is not a good look if you know anything about the history of well, what like, are the other gay ones? and lesbian characters on TV or novels. The other one in the Last Olympian is Clarice and Selena. Yes, that because is they fine. have the Achilles and Patroclus storyline, which is like straight up like. Wait, what's that? That's like iconic, like gay, like Greek shit. Like it's not necessarily gay. Like it's one of those subtext things, but there, are, it is like there's so many readings of but it. But what I'm saying is classically, w- w- how does that relate to them? Because Selena, when Selena dons Clarice's armor in the Last Olympian, yeah. that's like the Achilles Patroclus like. Story was line. Achilles the one that did that, or was... Patroclus did it because Achilles was too stubborn too, and too prideful to go into the fight is basically how it's, like, written sometimes. I mean, obviously the motivations change a little bit based on interpretation, but... I remember story, but, though. And then, like, then Patroclus gets axed by... I honestly can't remember. I'm horrible for this. Maybe it's, like, Hector or something. Basically, Patroclus gets, like, axed, and then, like, they, like, parade his body around. Like, they, they do nasty shit. And Achilles goes fucking supernova he goes off like it's like it's horrible and then he gets killed by the um obviously the arrow to the keel situation the poisoned arrow and then they like bury their like ashes together or something was it poisoned or i thought the way the curse of achilles worked was just like if you if there's any contact there well here's where we'll get a little bit a little bit into these legends as they are like classics like things that we can study historically before the curse of achilles was not always a part of the story of achilles before it just used to be it was a poisoned arrow like it's as simple as that and he wasn't invincible yeah and then later iterations he developed this like invincibility thing Hmm. so that at least as far as i understand it i didn't study this shit so i don't know but i read that like a few times i'm pretty sure that makes sense but oh still so epic but obviously we'll get into that more in last olympian of course but um yeah, I mean, I do, I can see Selena and Clarice, however, I do think that it's not as solid as Zoe and Thalia, because they, they both, both have, have boyfriends. boyfriends, yeah, which, like, it doesn't really matter, but, like, it's clear that Rick Riordan wasn't intending for them to have any lesbian subtext. It's just I don't there even if you think, want it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, that's the thing. But I also I don't, don't think really, Sally and Zoe were intentional. Yeah, but I, I don't either, so it's, like, the... the how much um, does the off chance that they happened to die? <laughs> I exactly. Think, I don't think that I wouldn't blame him for that. I don't think yeah. that that was no. Honestly, purpose. like if he had made Thalia and Zoe canon and Zoe still died, I would have eaten that shit up. Like I'm sorry, I just like tragedy. Like yeah. Like do our gay characters in like an unfortunate position historically in terms of media representation where they are frequently, frequently murdered and like basically like punished. Yes, and like, will that need to change? Yes, but that's we are that is already changing in our culture. Yeah, and so I think like gay characters should still have a chance to be part of these like tragic like love stories, basically, because tragic love stories are fun. Like, well, fun is fun is a little bit of a strong word. You know what I mean, though. They're, like, they're compelling. They're, yes, they're, they're compelling. compelling. They're alluring. They're just depressing as well. But yeah. you know, life as a depressed kid, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you you eat that shit up. 
So I guess we can just go straight into Hunters of Artemis because that's just what makes this book really unique in terms of the five is that the Hunters of Artemis show up and they are yeah. like key characters. And like, this is the first time we really get an alternate route to being like a lot like a half blood half blood outside of camp yes oh you want me to keep going oh yeah okay. do you have anything right. to add uh well you're definitely gonna have to cut out that long pause but <laughs> i mean yeah the hunters of artemis are very iconic and i mean artemis herself is very iconic she is uh, i mean we discussed last week that she's also kind of two-dimensional yeah um mainly just because she has her values and she just stands by them like she fair enough yeah it's it's not really like Hermes, where he, he's a little up and down and wishy-washy. Like, Artemis is... Yeah. Artemis is just Artemis. She's just yeah. a badass bitch who knows what she wants. Um, and she has, she has like, principles. She does. She does. And they get into that in Heroes of Olympus, but, I mean, it's pointless to talk about that. Yeah. You, you wouldn't remember it. But, um... And then the ending, too, where she calls Percy a man instead of a boy, like, that's, like, a hint at something that, like, Artemis is a little more three-dimensional as a god, but Percy only gets one specific part of her because he's a boy. I think that's kind of, like, a little bit of it, too, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, that was very loud. I really hope you can't hear his biting. You might be able to... We probably won't be able to cut all of it out, but we'll see what we can do. Okay. No, I do think that is a really cool thing, and I think that it just shows his growth throughout the book and that she recognizes that, and I think that it's important that, you know, this is an example of one of the gods, like, being good. Like, she is a good goddess, and That's true. she pays attention to her hunters, and it's she's not, like, an absentee parent. Like, she's no, very there. No, no, that's the thing. Artemis doesn't have any kids. Instead, she has the hunters, but Artemis cares very deeply for her hunters. She's not, like, yeah. absent from their lives at all. Like, she cries when Zoe dies. I would, too. Yeah, I mean, that shit hurt. Like, Zoe. everyone's crying. And she cared about Annabeth because she was a young maiden, but she cared about Annabeth a lot. And she cared about Percy, too. She didn't want Percy to die. Yeah, she, she wasn't, she like, liked fuck Grover. him. She, she wasn't going to say it, but she liked Grover. She liked Grover, who, yeah. Who can't like Grover, you know? He's, <laughs> he's so likable. He's Grover. <laughs> he's so fun. He had great moments in this book, too, like, with the, um, the boar. When they had to ride the boar down the mountain, and, and he then Grover made like a reed thing so that he could chase like this apple. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that part of the quest was like really funny, honestly. I com that was one of the parts I had like forgotten. Um, but the quest for Pan continues in this book. It actually hits like a pretty high point in it terms does. of like they just know Pan is alive and that he wants to be found and that he's basically contacting Grover. Which is, like, really cool. Grover has this kind of, like, chosen quality in that regard that's, like, really interesting. He does. And I think that it is cool that, like, Percy isn't the only chosen one. Yeah, that's true. Grover is kind of, like, the chosen one in terms of, like, the satyr, like, yeah. realm that we don't really know anything about. We just know they're a bunch of satyrs. And they it's really cool that they overlap, like, that they're best friends as well. I know. It's kind of like LeBron James and, like, Steph Curry being, like, friends and, like, respecting each other's game. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I you mean, know what I mean? It's like Grover two would definitely be the like, step yeah. in that. <laughs> <laughs> I like how we're like implicitly getting your basketball take as well. Stop. <laughs> I mean, I love Steph Curry, but I mean, like, it's come on, LeBron. Steph's not the goat. Like, we no, love. No, that's MJ. He's, Steph is the goat of a specific area, but yes. he's not like the goat of this current era in the way that LeBron is. Okay, yeah, LeBron can be the goat of this current era. He's not the greatest of all time. Yeah, which. Honestly, we need a separate podcast to hash okay, that out. Fine. But just one more thing before we get off basketball. we ha I have been keeping track. There 
is a basketball reference in the first three books. I haven't read enough of Battle of the Labyrinth to see if there's one there. But the basketball reference in this book is really fun. The hunters play basketball. The hunters do play basketball. Which I think is and really fun. And they almost end up cool. fighting. Fighting um, the, an Ares kid over yeah. the court. I thought that was like super fun. Just a little cute thing. We also, the other god that we meet in this book is Apollo, who we already did a little shout out to in the beginning. And we talked a little bit briefly about last episode. Apollo, I stand by it. He's not that dimensional. He's kind of two-dimensional, which is fine. A lot of the gods, it's okay that they're not super, like, depth. Like, they don't have a lot of depth to them. The one thing Apollo really has going for him that I'd forgotten happened... Is he's annoying as fuck? ...was when he helped them get west. When he put them on the train and then, like, sped up the train so that they could get west in time to save his sister. That's true. So, like, shout out he, to Apollo he couldn't, for that. He couldn't help but get involved. Like, I know that's one of the rules, but he was like, this is my sister, bro. Like, I know. I'm helping you. He's like, there's no way this is just, I'm being laissez-faire about this. He's like, I'm getting involved. Then we also have another great Dionysus scene. They're really starting to come together. I think there's a big one in Titan's Curse. There's a big one in The Last Olympian. Is there a serious one in Battle of the Labyrinth that you remember? Not that I'm aware. There's, at the end of Battle of the Labyrinth, if I remember correctly, he comes back and he finds out one of his sons died. Oof. Um, yeah, I, I think that Percy and his conversation is at the beginning of The Last Olympian. But they, they might have a little bit of dialogue at the end, but it's, it's not It's not memorable. much. Yeah. But what I really like about the Dionysus conversation with Percy in this book is that for a lot of the series, heroes in Greek mythology have just been idolized or, you know, things that demigods aspire to. And the conflict has mostly been between demigods and monsters, demigods and the gods. In this instance, with the hunters, the hunters bring this in as well, because a lot of these girls have pasts of being like slighted by mortal men or something. But Dionysus really introduces one of the key themes that will be really relevant in the Elite Three, the trio. Yes, especially about a labyrinth. Yeah, about what responsibility heroes have to the people who help them. And just, like, what responsibility heroes have to being, like, good people, basically. Because Dionysus gets up there and he's like, Hercules, Medea. Is Medea the woman who was with Jason? No, Ariadne. Ariadne. He was like, Hercules, like, screwed Zoe over. Jason screwed Ariadne over. I hope I'm remembering these no. names. Uh, <laughs> Athesius screwed Ariadne over. Jason screwed over Medea. Yeah. He's like, you guys kind of fucking suck, man. And honestly, Di Di Dionysus yeah. is not in a position to, like, make He's judge. not. Like, it's but, just because he's a god. Yeah, because he's a god. He's cheating on his wife. Like, come on. Like, it's like, dude, like, you're not that noble. But also, I think this is, like, really... This is a really important emotional subplot of these books. Because I think it... Percy's understanding of responsibility and how he interacts with like his other demigods like what he owes to the world is going to be the reason why he gives up godhood basically at the end you know what I mean I do I think that it's a lot of things like I think, yeah yeah I think that a part of him just doesn't want to be a god yeah he's like no thanks yeah because it's like just the idea of having kids and not being able to talk to them I think that he's very family oriented and he's like, as a god, I would just be stuck with fucking Dionysus and Zeus all day, and who the fuck wants that? But I, I think there are many reasons, but obviously we'll get into that in the yeah. last book. But I do think it's cool how Ariadne is brought up in this book, and then Battle of Labyrinths, she's such a huge subplot yeah. for that book. Like, she's the key for that book, basically. Yeah. Well, yeah, any Labyrinth story, you can't have a Labyrinth story, really, without having Ariadne. Like, yeah. And I mean, that's, it also talks about, like, 
forgot I was wearing eyeshadow. Uh, it also talks about, you know, scorned women in really the the last three books, but it does mention in Battle Labyrinth as well, so it'll be cool yeah. to get back to that. That's but I mean, lot. honestly, it's it starts in the first book with Medusa. It does. But the Medusa thing we've talked about is kind they of like, it they downplay it, it's sanitized, it's not really what the original myth is, and so there's not a lot of meaningful commentary in that story. But like, this book, like, Titan Scares, like, it is like the feminist book of the series. Like, don't get me wrong, like, all of the books have their flaws in terms of sexism and have their, like, dubs in terms of feminism. Mm-hmm. But this book is really like, I mean... Artemis, like it's the Artemis, Artemis book. Artemis. Then it's like Zoe, Thalia, Annabeth. Bianca, Annabeth, and like a lot of this book is honestly like Percy learning to get along with Thalia and Zoe and learning to respect them. And the yeah. journey he goes on from like hating them and fighting them all the time to like being like these are my friends who I respect, like on the battlefield, is like a really nice journey. And I don't think Percy is simply a king. He is, and like look, I don't think that he like has issues with them necessarily because they're women. Like I don't think he's like these girls don't know what the fuck is up because he doesn't no. say that in his mind. Percy is very territorial though. But he's very territorial and I think that like he has a harder time to- he has a hard time giving up power and part of that journey for him is learning to get along with these girls. And I like that they're girls because like we could have had this story where Percy learns to get along with other boys, but it's just yeah. like it's not the same like Percy learns to respect them and to regard them on equal footing without Rick writes it so that Percy isn't necessarily like a raging horrible sexist at the beginning of the book, but he still has a meaningful journey about respecting these women's like power and authority and honestly like autonomy like he understands why Thalia joins the hunters he understands the hunters a lot better by the end of the novel because he understands their pain a lot better in like part like the stuff with Luke and the stuff with Hercules yeah I mean Luke fucked them over too Mm -hmm. Luke is honestly another really good example he betrayed Annabeth's trust in this book severely it's by making her hold up the sky and then like so because she was like oh I'll save you and then he just fucking left her there and he he knew knew she would do it and like at the end of the book there's this like really nice bit that Percy has where Annabeth is basically immediately like Luke's not dead like he didn't die which ends up being true and Percy has this like Annabeth's always right Annabeth's always right Percy has this inner monologue where he's like how does she still have feelings for this creep like he's really upset but he's like but I try not to be mad about it like he understands I think still that there's like a lot of complicated feelings she has with Luke and he lets himself be upset internally without being aggressive or like taking it out on Annabeth which yes, I really there's respect also, there's a lot that he doesn't know and I think he knows he, he lacks a lot of information so yeah. he can't really speak on it and there's just like there's honestly just a history with Annabeth and Luke in terms of Annabeth I think it makes sense that she has this like girlhood crush on him like I think we've talked about this in earlier episodes like the fact that he like helped raise her for a little bit and was protecting her from monsters like it makes sense that she wouldn't want him to go to the dark side and that that's like what she holds on to but it's all like exactly Um, like she has a lot more history with him whereas Percy Percy was like oh he was like my first friend they were friends for like three days they were friends (laughs) they weren't friends for long and he was quickly betrayed and it turns out that Luke had been like fucking with him like basically since like months in advance like and then just like before we move on from the Luke stuff because there's honestly not a lot of Luke stuff to talk about oh but you'll drag it out I know 
I mean, he's scared, and, like, he doesn't want to do the alternate whatever plan, which is the like, River Sticks and then embodying Kronos. So we get that, but we don't get a lot. But one moment for the Luke Hermes fans out there. Yourself. Me, myself, and I. Percy thinks that Luke is, her is Hermes' least favorite son. There's one line about that at the end of the Titan's Curse, when he sees Hermes again, like, in the throne room, and he internally, in his internal monologue, um... Like, it's just, I think basically just giving exposition about Hermes, and he says that, like, Luke is his least favorite son. And that's interesting because there's no reason for Percy to think that other than Luke is villainous. You know what I mean? And that's, like, it's a good setup for what will come, come full circle in The Last Olympian, where Hermes is, like, actually that's not true. Because it gives, basically, Percy a... I honestly don't remember Percy saying he does explicitly say, I wrote it down in my notes app immediately because I was like, that's crazy. Because... I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Basically, I think Rick Riordan just wants to set up Percy thinking that Hermes' least favorite son is Luke because he's a bad guy, and that's just how things simply work out. And he wants that to be subverted and that. become more complicated in the fifth book when everything about Luke and a little bit more about Hermes becomes complicated. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there because that was just like a little thing that was set up in this book. But we can go back to Annabeth, honestly, because... Always. That's my main squeeze right there. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I love her. I honestly, like, I was not a big Annabeth fan reading these books as a kid. I really didn't like her that much. I really, really fond of her this time around. I missed her in this book. I missed her too. Like, I'm not like a big, like, I don't... I don't fucking know myself well enough to know everything about my sexuality and shit like that, but Annabeth gives me bi panic, okay? And I say that 100% certain. I love this woman, I swear. Her and Percy both. I, I'd take it all. I really would. And I love her, and she's just such a badass. She is. And, like, she does have this heart of gold, too. Like, her taking the sky from Luke isn't just a... Like, it is that she's being manipulated into it, but it's that she loves him enough to, like, try to do something about it. Like, she has and heart I think that and loyalty. I honestly think she would have done it even if she knew that he was tricking her. Honestly, yeah, like, because she just has so much sympathy for him and for his circumstance. And in this book, too, like, we also follow up on the Annabeth subplot with her dad, which I think is, like, really fucking cool. Like, that takes up, like, her Annabeth's dad coming in at the end I know, so cool. king shit. Wait, Logie Bear, here. Here's the rock. That's what you want, right? Go play with your rock. Yeah, like, I love that they go, honestly, like, I love that they got to go to San Francisco and, like, the Bay Area because, because I, I lived there for a little bit, so it was nice to kind of revisit that in the book. Because when I was little, I would read it and I had no idea what to imagine. Oh, I, as I said in the car, I looked up every aspect of this series. The words I didn't know, the songs I didn't know, the book references, every fucking thing. And I would also look up every single, like, spot that they would see, like... The bridges they would mention, yeah. the stores, everything, just so that I had, like, scenery. Just so that I could imagine I was there, basically. So I know a lot about San Francisco now, too, bro. No, it was super cool that they got to go to San Francisco. And, like, I don't know, it was just fun. And the fog and, like, Mount Tam, like, and the, the world, like, it's just kind of the perfect location for Atlas to hold up the sky. Like, it's just, it's nice. Like, what can I say? Like, genius move, Rick Riordan, like, credit credit where credit's due um and then this is also the book where they go to the hoover dam 
I guess this will just be our little quest overview part of it. But they go to the Hoover Dam. They talk to the angels. They have the damn joke. The damn the joke. The infamous damn joke. Yes. <laughs> that people have been repeating and probably will repeat for, like, years. It's like, still a huge thing on Tumblr. Huge. Oh, I believe it. It was huge when I was on there, too. They also got to go to, like, the National, like, was it, like, the National History Museum or, like, Aerospace Museum? They, they did. got to go yes, to D.C. They, yeah, they went to, um... The Smithsonian, right? Yeah, that's probably, yeah, yeah. that's what it was. And, and then, that's where the Nemean Lion came in. The Nemean Lion, and then, which Percy then, like, sacrifices, like, to give to his dad to get Grover and Bessie home. Bessie, who's, like, a really, like, funny part of this book, like, I like Bessie a lot. Bessie shows up from the start, too. I She's know. She's the entire time. He's there, like, from the get-go. I... Well, I think it's, like, a great way to get him on the quest, which is that, like, it's innocuous. Like, Percy just saving another sea animal. And then it's, like, actually this, like, is more and more relevant. And then, oh, fuck, I completely forgot. Another god who's really relevant in this book is Aphrodite. Aphrodite does make an appearance. A lot and she's of the, the one who sends Blackjack to get... Ares also makes an appearance. Uh, Athena makes her appearance. Athena makes her first appearance? Yep. Oof, that cameo is brilliant. What Honestly, can I say? Honestly, no. That is a really fucking cool cameo. Because I forgot about that. And then... She's just there to give him the motivation. And she's there just enough to... Just enough. And then right at the end when he's like, I think that was Athena. And you're like, fuck yeah, it was. Yeah. That's your mother-in-law, son. <laughs> <laughs> And then also at the end of the book, Athena's dialogue with him, but we should wait till the end for that. Yeah, we but should hold is... off a little bit. This book has just a wonderful conclusion. Like, it all ties together, like, so nicely and really sets everything else up. Like, it really sets up the stakes of Battle of the Labyrinth to be high. And part of that is the D'Angelos. The D'Angelos get reference, get brought in in this book. They're in, like, the first My chapter. My baby Nico! I know, Nico! In the, in the building! Like, this is the Nico book. Ten years old, mythomagic stand. Basically it. Mi no. <laughs> the way Nico changes so drastically honestly just shows all the shit that he went through. I know. Though. He has like a like who he is in the next book. Oh, I'm so excited for Battle of the Labyrinth Nico, because that's a specific Nico D'Angelo, let me tell you. Nico's got many faces, and I have to say I love them all. I love them all. He's fun. And look, the children of Hades reveal, spectacular. Yeah. Like, it's perfect. And I was honestly like when I was reading the scene where Bianca dies in Hephaestus's like trash thing. I was honestly like, Rick could have played a little bit with the idea that the final line in the book, like a child will kill, uh, like a child will be killed by a parent's hand. He could have been like, maybe that was Bianca and Hephaestus or like something like that. But he didn't go that route just specifically because it's like clearly gonna be Zoe by the end of it. So, but it like it would have been cool to play with that just like a smidge, but. I love the reveal. Oh, and there's, like, little things in it that are great, like, Bianca, like, killing the undead guy, and then everyone is, like, everyone being, like, whoa, what the what fuck? How did you do that? And I I'm know. just, like, bro, open your eyes, okay? And then Nico gets rid of all of them. It, in one thing. And it's just, like, because at that point, Nico knows who he is. Yeah. Um, but it's like, imagine the fucking power Bianca would have held when she knew. And I, I it's really a missed opportunity. I mean, I get that it kind of had to happen. I do, I wish that we got to see more of her, though. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I get what you mean. Like, it had to happen, like, in terms of just, like, for the book that Rick Riordan wanted to write, like, she Bianca... Was, she was a two-dimensional character. She was a two-dimensional character. There wasn't a lot else going on. And, like, I like her. I really sympathize with her. I totally understand why she wants to join the Hunters. And I love that Percy comes around on that as well. Like, he really is like, you know what, I'm not gonna berate her for this decision. Because, like, yeah, it's Percy, hard. Yeah, Percy, that's one thing to talk about. Percy is really mad at her, honestly. Because he he's is. like, 
you're abandoning your brother. Mm-hmm. And just to go off and hunt people. And she's yeah. just like, yeah, but I finally have the opportunity to have family. And he's like, okay, but your family's back there. <laughs> so where, where are you going? Meanwhile, Nico is stuck in the Hermes cabin. Yeah, like, and Nico, being Nico's by a little salty, brothers. too. But, I mean, ultimately, her love for Nico is her downfall. It is. Like, she couldn't let go of Nico. Like, that was the thing. Like, it, cause I mean, I think that's partially why Nico is so, like... He's so like fuck mytho magic by the end of it. I know he's like fuck this shit. <laughs> yeah, he literally throws it away. I know, and like another Nico thing that I love in this book, or it's connected to the D'Angelos, is that at the end when Percy realizes that he's a son of Hades and decides to hide it from Chiron and Dionysus. Yeah, that's a big move on Percy's part. We really start to see Percy come into his own as a camp figure leader here, but Percy is like, no, Nico is not the person of the prophecy. Percy, at the end of this book, makes a decision that he is the person who, like, the prophecy applies to. Like, he is the chosen one. Yeah, he's like, I can't fucking die now, because if I die, it's gonna be him. He (laughs) accepts, like, full responsibility for it. Um, And this is also, like, following Thalia, like, joining the Hunters and deciding to be forever 15 and 364 days old. Which is, like, just, I love that Rick Riordan was able to introduce the Thalia question at the end of the second book, and then resolve it at the end of the third book. It's just a great pacing thing, and it was able to give the the five-book series, like, what it needed. Like, it needed a little middle-ground oomph to, like, push it along, you know what I mean? The only thing is that in Titan's Curse, the prophecy isn't really talked about that much. Um, like, I mean, at the end, it's very obvious, like, oh, now she's a hunter, so yeah. she's not gonna be the child of the prophecy, but at the beginning, it's not something that Percy's really, like, internally thinking about a lot. Yeah. And I kind of wish that he had thought about it, because then you would, you would have gotten to see, like, where his head was at, but I think by the end of the book, he has decided, like, no, this, this needs to be me, because I don't want it to be my friends, because, you know, that's his fatal flaw, his personal loyalty, yeah. and I think that these three books- This is the books, book where the fatal flaw of Percy's is first, like, explicitly stated to yeah, by Athena. by Athena, and Athena, it's so obtuse to me, because Athena is literally like, yeah, your fatal flaw is personal loyalty, and that's why you're doing all this crazy shit just to get my daughter back, but she's like, but thanks for getting my daughter back, but you're still insane, and honestly, we'd probably all be better off if you weren't here. Yeah, she was like, you're a problem. <laughs> yeah. She's basically like, everyone's saying you're a problem child, they're correct. They're correct. And he's just like, all right, well, fuck you. But, <laughs> and then he, like, makes it his, you know, his duty to prove her wrong. And by Last Olympian, she is like, yeah, you proved me wrong. Yeah, he definitely does prove her wrong. But it takes some time. And, like, it's interesting, too, because Percy, he doesn't consciously think about how Thalia is, like, is like gunning for the spot of, like, the prophecy chosen one or whatever. Because I think most of his attention is just spent on who is, like, the person people at camp look to to do things. Who is the person Annabeth and Grover look to. You know, like, yeah. that, it's it's more about his interpersonal relationships and the camp than it is about who gets to be, you know, Olympus's savior or bane in, like, four years. Or, like, But this years. is also, th- I really don't think that Percy had, like, any, like, sexist ideologies when he was, like, annoyed that Dolly was getting the attention. I really think it was just because he was like, these are my friends. Like, where the fuck did you come from? I, I definitely think it's a jealousy thing, first yeah. and foremost. Like, I don't think he's like, Thalia doesn't deserve this because he's a girl. Like, I think there's maybe some implicit bias in terms of, like, he's not used to sharing leadership with her or something. But he shares his leadership with Annabeth so freely in those first two books. Yeah. Like, I think it really is just Percy And really throughout the entire problem. series. Like, something really cool that you do see in Heroes of Olympus is you see... That out of the seven, Annabeth is the leader. And I yeah. think that that's really... I think that's a very strong thing for Rick to do. Yeah. 
And it, it's very smart. Because well, she's a badass bitch! And a lot of it, too, is, like, Percy's raised by a single mom. Like, Percy doesn't have an arc in these books where he's like, whoa, I, I like, treated women, like, bad, like, time to be, like, you know, a nice guy now. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, he's and always had a That's what respect. this book could be. But... It's not. And I think it's better for it not being that. Like, Percy, like, respecting, like, Annabeth, Thalia, and Zoe's opinions, like, it's not always a given. Like, he has to come to that. Like, he has to learn to respect Annabeth's opinion in the first book, and he has to learn to respect Thalia's in the third, and Zoe's in the third as well. I really think that that's just a respect thing. It's a respect thing. And it's the fact that they, like, clash head, like, they clash heads. And, like, Percy and Thalia, too, like, both have, like, anti-authoritarian streaks. Like, they're rebellious. I mean, all the all the children of the big three do. Yeah, it's, like, a thing. <laughs> it's definitely a thing. Like, Nico goes against Hades every fucking time he can. Which, like, fair enough. Yeah. The only person that really doesn't go against their direct parent is Percy, and that's because his relationship with Poseidon isn't that bad. But, oh, this is just such a good book. It's so detailed. We are not going to finish it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, we can try. Are there things that you wanted to talk about? Are you already done with your list? No, there's a few more points, but... Oh. Uh, I mean, obviously, we need to talk about Persebeth. Yeah, there were big Persebeth moments in this book. Big Persebeth. I mean, this is when you really saw, like, you know, the dreamscape. Um, it One of the main things that the dreamscape really, like, touches into is it's, like, it shows you what is most important to you. Mm-hmm. Like, in that first series, that really is, like, what it's about. Like, how he in Sea of Monsters, he's dreaming about Grover. And in The Lightning Thief, he's, like, dreaming about his mom, the quest, like, everything like that. It's, like whatever is uh, really subconsciously and, like, just both on the forefront of his mind is what appears in the dream. And I think that ever since Anna fell off that cliff and he, he was literally about to jump after her, he was like, no, it's fine, I won't die, it's water. And then they're just like, okay, but what if there are rocks down there? And he's like, fuck you for being right, okay, because I needed to go save this girl. And then after that, like, starting that night, he has a dream about her. Well, even before then, he dances with her at the, like, dance thing, whatever, they, ju- they dance to Jesse McCartney's Beautiful Soul, which is another time period piece of this. And he, like, she talks about her Ground Zero monument <laughs> that she's designing, which, like, made me laugh <laughs> so hard. I thought that was really funny. And then... I forgot about that. I know. It's funny to read it now, now that there's, like, an actual monument yeah. at Ground... <laughs> now that there's an actual Ground Zero. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> now that there's an actual monument there. Um... And then at the end, it comes full circle. They dance at Olympus. Why is it called Ground, Cir- or Ground, Ground Zero? Zero? Because that's where 9-11 happened. I know, but why is it called Ground Zero? I don't know. It just That's what it... I, I don't know if the Ground Zero as a phrase came from that or predated that, but it's like Ground Zero for X event. Like, that's just like where it happened. Like, that's where it happened. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, no, that was cool. Their dancing was cool. And then... Percy being like, oh my gosh, like, who am I going to dance with? And Annabeth's just like, me, Me. jackass. Like, (laughs) what are you saying? And then um, their dialogue in this book is honestly just so good. At the end, the gray streaks they have together. I know. And they're just, like, both looking at each other, like, blushing, all cutesy. And they're like, oh my gosh, we're matching. And I think that's really cool, too. I just got to go back to the damn joke for a second because, you know, Rick, he tries to, like, you know, just water everything down. But in that moment, he was like, let me just throw in a little one for the older people. Yeah. But honestly, the damn joke isn't, like, crazy funny. It's really not it's that not. funny, it's I have to say. It's just something that has become very lighthearted for the fandom, I think. And I understand why the characters find it really funny after, like, 
all like the arduous journey that they've been on like you know what i mean like there were definitely nights on our westward road trip where we lost our shit over things that were not that funny but because we've been traveling for so long we were like oh my god this is hilarious you know what i mean i know he's so cute so cute we say as he like is about to eat the chair again (laughs) sorry he distracted me he's so cute yeah i mean anyways back to purse bets because you know that's my number one topic all the time yeah the dreams the dancing him trying to jump after aphrodite Aphrodite, Aphrodite is explicitly, like, I'm invested in you two as a ship. Yeah, like, that's and he what also, says. when he sees Aphrodite for the first time, and it is, like, canon that Aphrodite appears to men a lot of times as, like, women that they love or that they idolize, and he was like, she looks like Annabeth, and then she was like, wait, or he was like, wait, now she looks, looks like a TV actress. Like a TV actress I used to have a crush on, and he's like, wait a second. Yeah. And then this is also where Aphrodite's like, I'm gonna make your life interesting. Yeah. And, and he's like, please don't. He's like, my life is interesting enough as is. And then in the beginning when he goes, I love that he goes to see the Oracle in the beginning of this book and tries to get a quest, like, without anyone's approval. <laughs> no, yeah, because he's literally like, no, I need to, I need to get, I, I need her, I need to get her. <laughs> And then the oracle's like, no, bitch, this isn't for you. Not interested. And he goes and he sees the scarf that they got from the lightning thief, Aphrodite's scarf. Annabeth had put it up in the attic. Yeah, and he's like, ugh, throw back to the good times. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, you can really just, it, it honestly seems like, by Titan's curse, he is more invested in his relationship with Annabeth than he is with Grover, because when Annabeth goes missing... It's very clear that, like, he's, like, I'm missing a part of myself at this point. Like, I need her. He's, like, devastated, yeah. Yeah, and with Grover, it's also, like, very traumatic for him. Like, he's, like, I need my best friend back. And he makes an entire fucking quest. Like, he breaks the rules just to go and get his friend, basically. Yeah. Uh, like, that's the thing that's really funny about this is, like, the premise of most of these books are the quests. But really, Percy's reasoning for going on the quests aren't, it's not, it's never for the gods. It's like that's that's a bonus. But it's really, always I'm a going for my mom. I'm going loyalty. For it's I'm always a loyalty Anna. thing. Yeah, Battle of Labyrinth. Part of it was for Nico. Yeah. No, that's true. Which when we get to Battle of Labyrinth, I'm gonna ha- I'm I know I'm gonna have a segue where I get mad as fuck at Rick for what he did in Heroes of Olympus with the Percy Nico relationship. I w- if I ever see him, he will be bitch. You don't just wait. For that. What do you what do you have beef with it about? I've just, explained uh, this. Give to us you, a teaser. Like, Okay, here's a little teaser. Basically, in Heroes of Olympus, um... Oh, wait, how, like, Percy, like, basically, like, doesn't care about Nico anymore? Yeah, Percy... Oh, yeah, yeah. Percy just has, like, no affinity for Nico anymore. And you're like, okay, but in Titan's Curse, uh, like, yeah, you thought he was, like, an annoying little kid, but you... He was sympathetic still. He was sympathetic. He protected Nico when he found out he was the son of Hades. He did his best to protect his sister. He kept that fucking figurine that Bianca got for Nico until he gave it back to Nico, like, books later... In Battle of the Labyrinth, he literally went back into the labyrinth to look for Nico. Like, he was having all these dreams about Nico. Clearly, Nico was, like, on his mind. Yeah. Um, in The Last Olympian, he tells Nico to stay in the underworld, not only because Nico did, you know, basically hand him over to Hades, yeah. but also, which, you know, yeah, which, like, fair enough, but also because <laughs> he's like, you'll be safe down here. And, he, like, throughout the entire series, he's really like, I want you to be safe. And I want what's best for you. And that's why he was like, I'm going to be the prophecy kid, because I don't want it to be Nico. But then by Heroes of Olympus, it's just like, when Nico goes missing, Percy's like, oh, well, I gotta do this for Hazel, but not for Nico. And then, like, he's like, yeah, like, why does Nico hate me? As if he forgot everything that happened in the first fucking series. Like, you forgot half of your life with Nico. And it's just like, 
I don't know. It's just the fact that he's so close to Hazel now, and you're like, okay, but you spend just as much time with Nico. Yeah. And it's like, I love Percy and Hazel's, like, sort of big brother, little sister dynamic, but Nico's the OG, and put some respect on his name. Yeah. Because that was really fucking annoying to me, and it was also, it was so out of character for Percy. To look at saving his friend as, as like, as an add-on. Nico's kind of like the Damian Lillard of the series. Real fans will know what I mean. (laughs) Damian Lillard is, like, this basketball star who is, like, the best player on his team, has been the best player on his team for years. He's like Steph in that he's, like, a three-point shooter, and he's famous for it being Dame time, and then he hits, like, impossible three-point shot buzzer beaters. But... He plays for the Portland Trail Blazers. They're never going to make it to the finals. And if they make it to the finals, they're probably not going to win the finals. That's kind of like the Nico vibe, I feel like. You know what I mean? Like, he's lethal. He is, like, he's got his thing, but he's not the prophecy kid. And he's not going to be, like, the guy for these books. He's not. I mean, Percy... But he's also still, like, sick as fuck. Yeah, he's sick as fuck. But Percy is clearly meant to be... Like, the guy for these books. He's the LeBron. Like, like, I don't know of a single person, you know, in their right mind that has read the series and been like, I don't like Percy Jackson. Yeah. Like, he is so likable. Like, you can't not like him. He might not be your favorite, but he better be your fucking favorite. But I guess you get a pass (laughs) because it's Luke, and that's a respectable answer in a weird way. But he better be your fucking favorite because he's Percy motherfucking Jackson, okay? (laughs) Gosh, it makes me so angry when I'll go on... When I'll go on fucking, um... Tumblr? No, TikTok. Oh, and TikTok. I'll see these ratings of the characters, like, mainly the main, like, nine people in Heroes of Olympus. And Percy is, like, is rarely number one, or at least from the ones that I've seen. And I'm like, how? He has the most character development. His point of views are the best overall. The only person that tops him, maybe, is Annabeth. And that's because it's just so cool to see things from her perspective. For yeah. Me. But really, like, Hazel, her perspective is good, but yet again, she doesn't have enough perspectives throughout the series to really get true character development. Mm-hmm. He is the only, like, very developed character, and you're gonna tell me he's not the, he's not the best? Okay, sit down. Your opinion? Irrelevant. Irrelevant. Like... I literally report them. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And if I see some, if I see an answer I don't like on Korra, I downvote it. <laughs> That's how this works. Arden is someone who makes her opinion heard. No, my opinion is non-negotiable. My opinion <laughs> is factual. It is written in stone. I don't give a fuck what any of these bitches say, okay? That's just the way it is. And <laughs> Percy is the OG. He is the love of my life. But Annabeth can have him because I share. And he's just he makes a series. And anyone that says, like, oh, I don't like him, then you're stupid. Because there's no way to read these books and love these books without loving him. It's true. Like, he, his voice is just the series. Like... They're, they're really one and the same. His voice is what makes this series what it is. Like, it is first person. Okay, it's not like Harry Potter. I feel like Harry Potter, it's easier to not like Harry because it's third person. But if it's first person, you are reading everything through their eyes, hearing how they think internally, you have to like them. Yeah. You can't just pick, like, a rando as your face. Like, imagine reading The Hunger Games being like, I don't like Katniss. I, when I reread The Hunger Games, I love Katniss. I love Katniss so much. Like, I love Katniss in a way that I don't love almost any other fictional character. Like, that's just how, like... Percy. Okay. No, it's... I love Percy. How I love Katniss is different from how I love Percy. That's what I'm saying. Like, Katniss, like, it really would be like reading The Hunger Games and not liking Katniss. Because those... She's just so likable and so lovable. Honestly, I do have my issues with Katniss in the book. 
She has um, her, like, don't get me wrong, she definitely has her, like, character flaws. But, like, I'm sorry, that girl just goes through so much. She does. And she is so, like, I think that part of the issue so is... She's so wrong by love, everyone. I love Jennifer Lawrence. But I, I do think that she is doled down a little bit. In the Jennifer Lawrence, I think, does a great job in, like, those first two movies. And I want to believe she does a good job in the other two. I just don't know if Jennifer Lawrence was ultimately the right choice. I mean, I just don't think that Mockingjay was ultimately the right the choice. Mo- well, Mockingjay but... should have been one book, one movie to start with, like, if we're really getting into the Mockingjay of it all. But, you know, we'll save that for a maybe one day Hunger Games podcast. Maybe, if we ever, If maybe. we ever get that far. No promises. But the last kind of points on my list are a little bit connected. We can just give Zoe, like, a little more love, I feel like. Because I love Zoe Nightshade. She's a great character for this book. I love that really Percy... Percy really doesn't like her. He thinks that she's really uptight. Thalia thinks she's really... Thalia does not like Zoe. Honestly, These no one likes beef. Zoe. No one likes Zoe. But by the end of it, you see that she does... Like, she's principled. Like, she does have, like, noble intentions. And, like, she went on this trip the whole time knowing that she was probably gonna, gonna die at the end. Yeah. Like, that's what's so moving. It's like, damn, this girl, like... She really was more than everyone was giving her credit for for a really long time. Because I think when people thought of her... When the characters thought of her as, like, uptight, they thought of her similarly as being almost kind of selfish you know what i mean and then you learn that like there's like more to her than that yeah i mean that's not the way that i always viewed her i didn't i never viewed her as selfish i really just you know point well, blank viewed her kind as of, like uptight. self-oriented i was just more like uptight is a good actually is a better like word for it, probably i was just more like you know she's one for the girls like she it's true <laughs> yeah like she doesn't like she doesn't like boys and that's fucking fine and she doesn't I like don't boy apologists thalia she thinks thalia's like a boy shill <laughs> i mean in a way thalia kind of is sometimes but i think just that- for luke just, just for Luke, really. Other than, like, I mean, once Luke was taken out of the equation, Thalia was like, okay. And Zeus tried to kill Thalia, too? No, yeah, that's why I was about to say, Sasha, we, like, I know that you think we're nearing the end of this podcast. But it's true, we have to we're talk not. about that. We have at least a couple more topics that I'm probably going to want to go into later. That's um, true. Well, that is a very big thing. We should talk about that separately from Zoe. We should get into that later and Thalia's, like, whole, like, power thing later, yeah. too. But Zoe is just such a strong female lead in this book. And I think that her character development is very good, especially mm-hmm. considering she's only in there for one book. I know. And I would Oof. not say that she is a two-dimensional character. No, absolutely not. She's nuanced. She, <laughs> she has that history with Hercules, too, which is really interesting. I like that Rick creates her. I love her. Riptide in this book! I love that Rick creates her, and then he's like, and she was erased from history. Like, she was taken out of the Hesperides, like, mythology, basically, from the get-go. Like, he, he, it's not like he's like, oh, I can only work her in if I do this thing because of the original myth. He's like, no, actually, she was always here and the original myth got it wrong. That's cool because I think that's where Gary like, taking a moment and being like, these myths do women dirty. They do. And I yeah. sanitize, and he's like, I sanitize a lot of it, but this might be a way where I could give women, like, some credit. In and terms I think of that it's really cool that basically at the end, he goes full circle by being like, okay, and now you're literally, you're a constellation. They can't, Oof. they can never fucking forget you again. I know. That shit, I can see the stars, my lady. That shit hurts every fucking time. Like, 
And then Percy, like, looks up and sees her when he's on Olympus, too. And no, Percy like, notices her in, uh, <laughs> Percy notices the constellation again in Battle of the Labyrinth, and he mentions her again in Last Olympian. She has- She leaves a profound effect on yeah, him. Yeah, he mentions her in Heroes of Olympus. Like, she was a really important and pivotal role in his character development. It just goes to show how much respect he had for her by the And also the how fucking important women are. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that the women in the series are honestly the most important figures, except for Percy, and that's only because I'm in love with him, okay? <laughs> but, I mean, also just Percy is the main character, so, like, you can only do so much, but... Yeah, Without exactly. Annabeth, how many times would he have died? Like, how many times? Them. All of without, them. Without Sally, who would he be? Yeah. Well, and, you know, we can get a little bit into also the way that, like, this fits into how a lot of times women in stories are only written to be strong sidekicks they're only written to be like hyper competent and to be like the mothers like the mentors like the people who help the male hero succeed like there's definitely conversations to be had about that for this series but what i love is that annabeth is given like emotional complexity with her relationship with her dad that and her relationship with her dad exists independently of percy percy helps her make decisions there and like lets her know what's up like from his point of view but, like, ultimately, that's between Annabeth and her dad. And it's similar with Luke and Thalia. Percy does not get to weigh in on how Thalia feels about Luke at all. Like, yeah. he does, and she gets pissed at him and kicks him out. It's the same with Zoe and Hercules, Zoe and Thalia, Zoe and Artemis. Like, those are relationships, that, and, like, Sally and her boyfriend, honestly. Like, those are relationships that exist really without Percy. And, like, I mean, the Sally and the Paul one, which gets introduced in uh, Titan's Curse 2, like, she does ask if, like, he's okay with it or, like, what's going on, like, stuff like that. But, but that's because Sally is a very respectable she's, woman. No, it's, like, you understand why. Like, yeah. she's her, his mom, you know. But, like, my point is that the women in this series are given, like, a decent amount of depth and complexity and their own, like, subplots, basically. They they're, they're never, like, the main character worthy subplot but like if that's what you're looking for this is not necessarily the book series for you but But this book series does a lot for women while being about percy yes and also annabeth is a main character like she she is is a main character and i do think like the secondary main character yeah and i do think that uh a part of rick um did sort of see like oh like i don't necessarily want women as like projected as a sidekick because in heroes of olympus uh in mark of athena i believe they are like battling skyron or whatever and maybe that's not his fucking name uh chrysler medusa's other not pegasus medusa's other son and he is like oh look it's percy and his little sidekick and that's like i'm nobody's sidekick like she she puts him in his place real quick and i think that that's also something that's really cool about her is that she doesn't hesitate to put people in their place like she does it numerous times in each book with percy she's like okay you're being stupid get your shit together and then he's like fine fine and i think that that's really what makes their dynamic like like let's get let's get it straight in that relationship and beth wears the pants (laughs) (laughs) that i would say is canon honestly that she, like, makes a lot of the decisions. Yeah, he yeah. does defer to her. They they definitely butt heads, but he defers to Annabeth most of the time. And I like, honestly, like, I think Annabeth has more complexity than Hermione does over, like, seven fucking books. Like, I, like... Because Annabeth is superior. Annabeth is superior. Like, I do not, like, I'm not gonna spend all day rambling about how I feel about how Hermione was written, but basically, I think Rick does more 
with Annabeth over the course of five books than Hermione truly gets from J.K. Rowling over the course of seven much longer books, both of them about men and, like, exclusively basically through the point of view of the male characters. Which, honestly, I was thinking about how, like, oh, well, it's definitely easier for Rick to write from a male perspective, like a male uh, main character, but then you bring up J.K. Rowling, it's like, okay, but she wrote from from Harry's perspective. Yeah, like a close third person. Yes, and it's just like, honestly, I think that's a missed opportunity. I think that she could have made that entire series about woman protagonists, but I don't think it would have done as well, which sucks a lot, but I mean, yeah, that's why the argument doesn't really hold up, because like, I do think that if Percy Jackson was like, I don't know, fucking Persassy Jackson, or like, oh. That would be the girl name Persassy. I don't know, um, but I just think that if it was a girl, I don't think that it would have been as good of a series because I don't think that he would be as strong in writing from a girl's point of view. But the, well, this, this is one of my other things where I'm like, I don't know if we can make those judgments because it's not the series we have. Yes, you know. But also, just it's hard because then you know a lot of women also, authors write from like write, write from the male perspective, yes. and it's completely like but, great. It, so it's it like is, men should men, be able to do the same for but women, but they don't. And but I they, think that that's it's the misogyny yeah. of it all. It's the it's yeah. the implicit sex. I mean, yet again with Percy Jackson, I do feel like we can give a little bit of leeway because he literally created he the tries, character. Yeah. But he created the character Percy Jackson for his son. Like, yeah, yeah. It, he was supposed to be a mirror image of his son, basically. Yeah. So I think that that's like we can be like, okay, this was this had a specific purpose, like in your life. This wasn't really originally meant to be for us. Yeah. So like that's fine. But, I mean, I do think, like, J.K. Rowling just has so many problems. J.K. Rowling, this woman has a lot of problems, guys. But, also, like, if you want to read, like, Rick Riordan writing a girl in the first person, like, to anyone out there, or Arden, like, Kane Chronicles, Sadie. Like, I honestly remember so little about her voice in those books, just because I read them years upon years ago. But he does have, like, novels where he wrote the first person voice of a girl, and I think he's doing that for his new novel as well. Yeah, I know that the main is. character is a girl, and I yeah. think it's first person. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, because he but... better fucking learn his lesson. The third person doesn't work for you, Rick. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And when he wrote Magnus Chase, he stuck to first person because of that. And Magnus Chase is also a book series where it's, like, it's through the point of view of a male character, which, honestly, at that point, I was like, Rick, like, when are we getting, like, women who lead these series? You know what I mean? Like, Percy... Carter, Carter and Sadie are co-leads, so, you know, I'll give them half credit but on Carter tends King to Chronicles. Take the cake in that but, scene. yeah, because he's, like, the king. He's the pharaoh, basically, by the end of it. Okay, um, well, way to spoil it. Well, but, sorry about that. But, you know, he's the one destined... The, the King Chronicles is so crazy. It's so it's crazy. so That's crazy. I'm like, I don't fucking know if I could read this book, because the Honestly. things that happen in this book are the so insane. The second book is so good, though. They, like, go to the underworld, while it's also, like, night... They go... I don't know. Like, yeah, the second and this book is, is where there's crazy. the whole aspect of, like, the underworld is just such a huge thing in it's every so, series. And it, well, because the underworld is just such a big thing in, like, any mythology, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's something we always think about, like, as people. But then... Heroes of Olympus, he splits it kind of evenly in terms of, like, the girls getting stuff, the guys getting stuff. Kind Although, of, except that the guys are the more powerful ones. I know! Series. And it's like, they didn't have to be, and also, like, why did it have to be Jason but and yet again, Leo? Like, this like is why could it be things... Jason and two girls? You know what I mean? No, the ending and of the book with, is just Same with stupid. fucking Son of Neptune. Why does it have to be Percy, Frank, and Hazel? Why can't it be Percy and two girls for one? Like, yeah. that's frustrating to me, where it's like, why are all these trios always two boys and a girl, instead of two girls and a boy? I think that it was mainly, um, Which is why the Titans curse is elite! I mean, honestly, though, in that book, they could have had Annabeth go and lost Hero, but Annabeth was like, no, because I hate Hera, so I'm not gonna go and help free her. 
Whatever, um, Rick. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, even that's a little bit out of character for him. I mean, I get it. It's kind of in character, but at Why the same time, Annabeth would do pride, anything. Like, I mean, that is her fatal flaw. Uh, yeah. It's, but it's when it comes serious. to, like, saving Percy... But when it comes to saving Percy, she would put it aside. But I think that she, did at that point, like, her thought process was probably like, oh, well, it's not like I'm going to find him in the cage with Hera, so I might as well keep looking. ultimately, it's a writer decision to... Yeah. Because he makes it so that he can have room to introduce another main character. But I think that the main reason that there are two guys normally is because it's like, you know, there, there always needs to be someone for the girl to go with. Yeah, that's honestly, like, I think a lot of times what it is, like... It's like that in Harry Potter, too, where it's, like, two guys and a girl. And yeah. it's really frustrating because it's, like, the girl, one of the girl, like, the solution to this is just one of the girls goes with the main character and then the other girl gets a boyfriend or whatever outside of the main group. Like, it's, that's my thing. It's, Always like, outside the main group. And they're always, like, not even secondary characters. Yeah. It's, like, basically my thing is, like, the idea that, like, the girl needs to get with one of the guys, if, like, that that's how the trio system works because of, like, romance shit. I'm just like, just work a- like, no. Like, that's not an excuse. Just work around it, bro. Like, yeah. this is my plea to the world. Like, more trios that are two girls, one guy. Yeah, because we don't time. see it. We don't see we it a lot. We have honestly... far enough as a society. And- let let the guy be the odd man out. Let the two girls become the couple in that book, okay? Yeah. That's- Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually back this time. Yes. Okay, so to start off then, I mean, I feel like we could keep going on forever about that tangent we were on, but about the tr- the ratio of um, powerful powerful trios, female characters. Oh, just powerful, just powerful female, female characters in general, but also trios. Like literally, why can I not think of a single trio that has two girls and one guy? Two girls and one guy. I, that's what I'm like. I'm like trying like kind of hard to think about it. Like like one of the examples that I can like most readily think of is like Shira, the animated like kids like cartoon. Like that like the main trio of that is like Shira, Glimmer, and then like their like friend Bo, but like I can't really think of like book examples off the top of my head, you know. I can't either. Hunger Games. Honestly, Hunger Games doesn't really have like a hard trio. No, but if it did, it would be Katniss, Peeta, and fucking what's his name? Well, I think it's Katniss, Peeta, and Gale in like the last book, but Gale's honestly not really in those books in the first two. So it's He's mostly not, Katniss, his... Peeta, and Hamish, honestly. Yes, but Gale's presence is so strong in those books, like through Katniss. He's, it's really not, though. If you read them, you'll reread them, you'll understand. Like, she definitely remembers and thinks about him a lot, but he, in the first book, is basically not there except for a couple of chapters. Like, the movies really play him up because he's part of the love triangle, and I think people will often think of a love triangle and a trio as, like, the same thing. Like, a leading trio, you know what I mean? Yeah. But Gail's honestly not in those first two books that much. And he's in the last book, like, a, much more, but still... He doesn't, he's not in it really much more than, like, Johanna is or something like that. Like, Finnick in the second book is a bigger character than Gale is in the Oh, I love Finnick. I know, and even, and you could even be like, well, Finnick, Kida, and Katniss are, like, a trio, but it's still, like, two guys. Like, you know what I mean? I really can't think of one unless I'm I just, can't like, either. Think, I really like, can't. I've read a lot of books. Yeah, like, is there a trio normally... in Divergent? No, it's, it's just the it's, two of it's them. Tristan four because and you have in read most, a lot of books. I've read a lot of books. I've read like sixty books in the past year, but I can't think of a single trio because normally when the girl's the main character, there isn't a trio. There's just the girl. She has a best friend, and then she has her love interest. But her best friend is never normally friends with her love interest. That's actually really true. That would be that's something that would be interesting to maybe like write about or something like why that happens. Because another example I was thinking of potentially was, like, Sadie and Carter. 
in the Kane Chronicles, and then, like, the third person of that trio kind of is Bast, but then you're getting into a realm where it's, like, it's really a duo, and they're, like, mentor figure, you know what I mean? Which I guess you could kind of argue is what's happening with the Katniss, Peeta, Hamish situation, but basically, like, if you're thinking of Sadie Carter and Bast as a trio, in the same way that you're thinking of, like, Grover, um, Percy, and Annabeth, like, they're not really the same thing. Like, you're just picking them because they're, like, three people, you know what I mean? I would rather Percy Grover and Annabeth, but, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, and what is it in Magnus Chase? Magnus Chase, it's Magnus, Magnus Chase is actually an interesting one, because it's Magnus, then Samira, I want to say her name is, and they're kind of like a duo, and then they have the old man besties, Blitz, whatever, and Stone, whatever, I can't remember their names, honestly. Is Alex not a main character? Alex doesn't show up until the second book, so, and Alex is Samira's uh half sibling so like alex honestly is something where it's like okay if you're if you're like the trio samira magnus alex which i don't know how strong an argument you have for because i just don't remember those books that well that would be an interesting case where it is kind of it's messy because alex is gender fluid but like that's more like that's it's something it's something and it's not it's not the standard two boys one girl and also alex and magnus are like the couple of that series too so it's not like it's, like, Magnus and Samira or something, you know what I mean? Magnus and, like, and Alex are a thing? Yeah, they're the, like, they're the couple of those books. And, like, Alex is, like, she's gender fluid, but she definitely, like, in the text, like, not leans more towards, like, being a girl, but, like, that's what she, I think she more frequently uses, like, she pronouns and stuff, you know what I mean? Like, Alex is trans feminine, I think, is the implication. That's gotta be so hard to navigate, though, honestly. Like, being in a relationship with... Like, someone that's gender fluid, just, like, what fucking pronouns do you use? Uh, well, and Alex is a character whose pronouns change, like, from, like, day to day. Like, they either use they pronouns or she, I'm pretty sure. Or maybe it's, like, she switches between he and she. I can't remember. But she is, like, more often used. But there's actually a part in the book, in either the second or third book, where one character's, like, wouldn't it be easier for you to just stick to one pronoun? And then she, like, has, like, a moment where she, like, kind of, like, explains it to them. Like, like, why she uses, like, different pronouns and stuff. Which I think is, like, really cool for him, yeah. honestly. Like, because... He has his moments. He has... He really does have his moments. And I think that's what's cool about Magnus Chase in that, like, kind of trio situation is that the questions that you start to have, like, just automatically about, like, how does their relationship work if Alex is, like, gender fluid? Or, like, how does Magnus feel about that? Like, those are questions the book answers or, like, wants to have, like, conversations about. Yeah. Like, those aren't things that go unaddressed in the series, basically. And I think that's really cool... I think it's just, like, you know how I feel about older Rick Riordan, or the newer Rick Riordan stuff, but that's something where he really, really did win, like, a lot of goodwill for me. Because I'm just, like, honestly, like, there aren't a lot of, like, trans characters in children's literature, and, like, not a lot of them are love interests. Like, yeah. you know? Not a lot of them are given, like... It was really a double whammy with that one. Yeah, that was, like, that was a dub. That was a massive dub on Rick's part, so... And, like, you kind of see, like, from, like, Titan's Curse to... Magnus Chase or even like Trials of Apollo like the evolution of just how much Rick is like trying to expand and include like different like identity groups like in his writing which like that's do, the one I part I don't the... shit on him for like that I do think is good like I just wish the quality of what he was writing was as good as the original series. I kind of wish that uh, Trials of Apollo was like about a goddess instead but at the same time apollo having trials is literally in greek mythology which is why he <laughs> chose it so it's like it makes the most sense it's just yeah i just really want 
a Riordan book that's from, like, 100% a girl's perspective. Yeah, which um, I think we're getting in the, like, But it's not the same! Okay, it's book. not the same universe! It's not, yeah. Oh, it hurts. Well, and I think this is where we get into, too, it's, like, a lot of the reasons you can attribute to Rick, like, going back to the same male characters again and again is, A, like, we talked about, like, Rick is a I guy. I love him! That's but, it. But also, it's like what you just said, where he's adapting from mythology that's, like, so male-centric. But it's also, like, at what point do you make the decision to, like, step away from that? You know what I mean? At what point do you choose to be, like, actually it would be more interesting if we did something similar to, like, for example, like, the Trials of Apollo in mythology, but made it about, like, a girl god or, like, something like that. You know what I mean? Like Trials of Artemis, bitch. Yeah, like, it's, like, it could have been, like, he could have done a whole series about, like, Artemis and the Hunt. But then when you get to that point, I think is when you start thinking about, like, the Rick Riordan, like, imprints series, where he, that might have been something that he would have wanted to hand off to, like, a woman to write, honestly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Which is possible. Yeah. But, um, I think one thing we definitely need to discuss is... Zeus trying to kill Thalia. That was the next one on my list, um, like, their relationship which in Which is not canon. Like, technically, we don't know for a fact that that was him. Yeah, and Percy does say it could have been Kronos, but honestly, I think the implication is that it's Zeus, because... But also, if it was Zeus... It goes... Uh, this is the thing. I guess it would have been killing two birds with one stone, because Percy was also in the car. Yeah. But, like, who was he aiming for? I think Thalia. Like, I think that's the But it's, the like, by the end of the book, because in the end of the book, in that, like, last couple chapters, when they are, like, in the throne room, or whatever the fuck it's called, it's not called a throne room, but, like, where the Pantheon is, basically, on Mount Olympus. Like, is it not the throne room? I don't fucking know, Sasha. Maybe it's the throne room, okay? Don't make me overthink it. But it's just, like, in that scene, he's like, well, I don't want my daughter to die either, because they're, like, basically debating whether or not to let Percy live, and yeah. whether or not to let Thalia live. And he's like, well, I don't want her to die. And besides, like, yeah, well, my son isn't dying either. Um, I don't think either of them actually, like, say that, though. Like, I think no, they... he, he, like, explicitly says something along the lines. Like, I remember him being like, yeah, well, like, I don't really want her to die. <laughs> All right, so Arden's back with the scene in hand. Well, no, I don't have it yet. Oh, you don't have I it? I was walking. Okay, so as you find the scene, I guess I'll just say my piece about the Zeus stuff. I think that, like, Zeus being willing to defend Thalia's life, like, when they're in the throne room, that doesn't negate the fact that I think he tried to kill her. Like, I think that he could have tried to kill her and then still defend her later. You know what I mean? Like, because when they're in the throne room, they've already completed the quest. They've already brought the animal back. Like, Zeus is no longer in immediate danger. But when Thalia and Percy are, on, are like, in route to Atlas, like, Olympus is in immediate danger. Like, Thalia is, like, in, like, a position of, like, power where she, like, could, you know, dethrone Zeus. This is true. This is true. <laughs> Sorry. I'm multitasking here. But, um... I guess that's what I mean. Oh, like, the person that's seen here! She's not a threat to him when she's in the throne room, especially because she chooses to become a lieutenant, like, basically immediately after. But it makes sense to me that he would try to kill her when she is a threat. When her taking over Olympus, like, is, like, a real possibility. I think I've almost found it. Bro, this is such a good fucking book. Oh my goodness, I want to read it again. <laughs> okay, so... He's so smart. 
He goes, I'm only 14. If this prophecy is about me, that's two more years. He's like, at least let me live two more years. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, so the dialogue is, like, between the gods, basically. And yeah. it starts with Ares. And he's like, these two are dangerous. It'd be much safer while we've got them here. And then Poseidon interrupts, and he's like, Ares, these are worthy heroes. We will not blast my son to bits. So he, like, basically explicitly says, like, you're not killing my son. Yeah. And then Zeus goes, nor my daughter. She has done well. Yeah, but that's what I mean, like... She's already, like, proven that she will ally herself with Olympus at that point. But when he attempts to kill her, she has not proven that. But she literally died for a bunch of demigods. And then when, like, when she's like, hey, like, dad, can I join the hunters? Uh, he's like, my daughter, consider well. And then she interrupts him. And she's like, father, I will not turn 16 tomorrow. <laughs> but honestly, it's a good thing that she did join the hunters because she, she was getting tempted quite easily. Yeah. She was. Well, Thalia's had a, she's had a hard life, man. And her dad, not exactly, not exactly a good dude. Yeah. Like, Poseidon is at least nice to Percy. Yeah. Zeus is kind of a flop father. I mean, I'm trying to think, I think it's hard to compare the two because they both have pretty, they, they both had pretty shitty lives, honestly. But, um. Well, Thalia did literally die for a minute. She didn't die. She was created into a tree. She was transformed. Because she was dying. <laughs> but, um... And then taken out of, like, existence but for also, a hot minute. But also, there you end up at the debate, like, of what is death better than living a life of pain? <laughs> like, the years she was dead, Percy was basically going through hell. Like, he literally went through fucking hell! But, I don't know, like, he just went through so much. He had to go through so many trials and tribulations and, like, just things that tested him as a person and just things that she didn't necessarily have to... And when she was tested, she almost gave in to temptation, which is something, like, he did not do repeatedly. So I think yeah, but that, I don't think Thalia is, like, a bad person. I don't think she's like, a bad person. Fasha, I love her. I love her. I'm not saying she's a bad person. I'm just saying that there is no way that if she was prophecy kid, it would have gone the same way. Given, like, the character that we have grown to know. Yeah. If she was the protagonist, I think that she would have been, you know, more like Percy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, like, just given the character like, If, like, this we, series is the no. same, but she's the prophecy kid. Yes. Yeah. Then it's, like, a dark Thalia, like, dark yes. prophecy. She no, I... She would have turned. I <laughs> think that's honestly the implication of this book. And I think, like, this book... And learning more about her past, like, gives her ample reason for you to believe that that's, like, the case. Which is, yeah. again, like... I mean, her... At least Percy basically has two good parents, like... Yeah, like, he had Sally, and Sally's mom is, like, explicitly crazy. stated in here to be, like, an alcoholic yeah. who dies, like, drunk driving. And then you, like, learn more about the backstory with Jason, which I mostly dislike and would rather just Well, because it makes no but... sense, because first of all, when you're, like, one and a half, two, how the fuck are you gonna remember all that? Yeah. It's not exactly. How are you gonna remember the wolves thing? coming and getting you? <laughs> How are they going to transport you with their fangs? What? Yeah, but I also Many think questions. just to like finally like finish like the who threw the lightning bolt conversation too. Like Percy's like maybe it was Kronos, but like we don't actually ever see, to my knowledge or memory, Kronos, Kronos wielding yes. lightning in these books. Like it. Kronos does not have that sort of power. And that, for me, is well, why I'm think, like, this was a Zeus moment. I think at this point in time, Percy doesn't really understand Kronos' power and the yeah. extent of his power. And it's like, in my opinion, controlling fucking time is way more impressive than controlling lightning. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, like, he hasn't really seen Kronos' power. He doesn't actually feel Kronos' power, like, true power, time, like, 
defying power until the end of Battle of the Labyrinth. Yeah. Well, so... it, ma- it makes sense for Percy to rationalize it to Thalia as it could have been Kronos, because you're right, they don't understand the extent yeah. of Kronos' powers. But, like, as readers, I do think the implication is that the lightning bolt was thrown by Zeus. Sasha, I think this is just one of those things that we're going to have to not necessarily agree to disagree on, because I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just saying we already hate Zeus, so let's give him a little, like, just a little... Well, this is why I'm so confused as to why you're so hesitant to buy into the idea because that that's so Because that's so... That would suck. That would really suck, a father trying to kill his own daughter. That would really suck. So, we're just going to be slight optimists. That's literally what happens with Atlas and Zoe. But Atlas doesn't kill Zoe, technically. But I'm I'm sorry, but I mean, like, yeah, because she was poisoned, but the line about, like, dying by a father's hand, like, is about Zoe and Atlas. I so like, like, why? But that wasn't technically by his hand. Like, do you understand what I mean? I don't really understand how I get that what line you mean, in the prophecy but, was ever truly But for that also. line in the... I guess that's, like, where I see, like, where we kind of have our differences here because in my opinion like for that line in the prophecy to be fulfilled like you basically just have to believe that like atlas's blow to zoe was the killing blow and the poison just made it so that her body could not physically recover i don't think it was that the poison was the final blow to begin with well what's the line it's uh like crushed by father's hand or something maybe i can't remember we can look it up we're doing a lot of reading we are i fucking love it and one shall perish by a parent's hand. Bro, sorry, why did I literally find it the same time you found it? One shall perish by a parent's hand. So, if I am remembering correctly... Uh, run, boy, you must run. Sorry. Wait, because I found it. So, so it says, She leaped between her father and Artemis and shot an arrow straight into the titan's forehead, where it lodged like a unicorn's horn. Atlas bellowed in a rage. He swept aside his daughter with the back of his hand, sending her flying into the black rocks. So he literally, like, with I, the back of his hand. Yeah, I think that is supposed to be the blow that, like, does her in. And, like, the poison is what, like, the poison is why they can't save her at the end, basically. Do you understand what I mean? No, I get what you mean. Because, I mean, Percy does, like, say, oh, we didn't realize how badly that poison had affected her. Yeah. And stuff like that. But, I mean, she was clearly, and honestly, Artemis was like, I can try to heal you. And she was like, nah, bro, it's time. She was like, <laughs> she was like it's time. I've, I've been, been here for a long, years. long time, man. I, I wish she let her heal her, though. But honestly, I, I feel like after that, like, being immortal, it's, I'm sure it has its perks. Because, like, no one really wants to die. But also, it's gotta be exhausting. <laughs> it, like, it's gotta be exhausting. Because, honestly, life sucks half the time. Yeah. And after a while, that's gotta start to outweigh the good. Yeah. Well, that's, like, what I think a lot of, like, books or movies or TV shows that have immor- immortal characters, like, investigate. Like, that's cool. Like, I think the Twilight books even maybe get into a little bit, although it's Twilight, so I'm not expecting a lot of, like, depth, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, Twilight. Oh, gosh. I still have to finish that. But, um, you got Dr. Thorne in this book, the Manticore. Oh, yes. Jacques. <laughs> he is crazy crazy but um i kind of like that energy he brings (laughs) no because he really sets the tone for the type of book this will be it's true yeah like he he just fits the vibe well and he doesn't does he appear in any of the other books after this i don't think he does right no because he dies in this book yeah but don't all i mean a lot of the monsters come back for lost olympian anyway you know what i mean so i wasn't sure if he was one of the ones that gets resurrected no he doesn't get resurrected in 
last one. Yeah, I don't think. But he might have gotten resurrected for Heroes, for of, Heroes Olympus. of Olympus. Oh my god. <laughs> Honestly, so many get resurrected for Heroes of Olympus. But, <gasps> no, I think that what it was... So there are two points in Heroes of Olympus where the original series is, like, really brought up in Tartarus. So there's one where they, like, squash this blister because in Tartarus the monsters reform and these, like, blisters on the skin of Tartarus, basically. Because oh, Tartarus cute. is, like... Tartarus is a person. Well, I guess he's a primordial, but still. So, but I think that he actually crushes a titan. But it could be Dr. Thorne. I don't fucking know. Then with the array, the people, like, the little bat ladies that, like, touch you or you kill them and they curse you. I think that Dr. Th- I'm pretty sure Dr. Thorne is mentioned in yeah. Heroes of Olympus. Sorry, that was, I said that very badly, but I think he's mentioned. <laughs> Well, and the other big thing that we haven't talked about yet is this is the book where Rachel Elizabeth Dare is introduced. Don't fucking start, Sasha. Don't start. No, I. we have to talk about her. Like, we can't not talk about her. It's a quick introduction. She's not there for very long. But it's another one of those things that this book really sets up for the next two in terms of, like, the, these books is, like, an elite three. Like, the there are characters in these three books that are specific to the last three books. Like, Rachel, Nico... Thalia, basically. Thalia, more or less. I think those are mostly the ones. <laughs> yeah, but there are more. There are definitely ones that we're missing. I mean, Tyson comes back, basically. Yeah. Uh, and he's pretty big in the last two. And then Luke's plotline becomes a lot bigger in the last two. Because Luke does really kind of take a back seat and, like... Well, it's not so much that Luke takes a back seat in this book. Luke, but he does. He just <laughs> he just kind of has, like, a limited role in the first three books. Because also, I mean, he's he there has... at the beginning and the end of the quests, more or less. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I do think that his role in Sea of Monsters was bigger than his role in this, but also his role in this was still pivotal because he, he fucked Anna Beth over, and that's how he this did. entire thing started. <laughs> that is how this entire Classic thing started. Luke. <laughs> oh, he's they're all crazy. He's Everyone also so miserable in this book compared to Sea of Monsters. Like, in Sea of Monsters, Luke is, like, he's clearly, like, I'm on the ascendant. Like, I we are, we are raising this army. We are taking Olympus by summertime. Like, this is happening. And well, yeah, this and book, by now, he's like, I don't know. Because by now, <laughs> some of the titans have been resurrected. Yeah. And he's like, okay, so I'm not... I'm not the big man on the box. It's true. He gets kind of demoted. Atlas, like, talks down to him and shit. And he's like, yo, like, I used to be number two. And now I'm, like, number five? (laughs) Yeah, because Atlas is like, I'm sorry, bro, but I'm the real number two. Yeah. I am Kronos' number two. But then Atlas gets demoted, too, at the end. I know. So (laughs) I guess we can talk about Rachel for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, again, we can talk about Red for a little bit. There's really not. She infuriates me. There's really not that much to talk about with her in this book. Like, she shows up, she has a cameo. It's. This is. I will say, this is really the first book where that introduces the idea that the mist is something that demigods or people can control. And it's also the Mm -hmm. first book that introduces, like, characters who can see directly through the mist, like, at all time, like, mortals. However, it is already canon at this point that Sally can see through mist. It is, but this is the book that confirms that. This is the book where Percy really realizes that for the first time. Percy doesn't realize that. Did Sally not realize that? (laughs) I think Sally is aware. I just think it's not something Rick Riordan is, like, bringing up until this book, basically. But Percy has a moment in this book when thinking about Rachel Elizabeth Dare, where he's, like come to think of it, like, my mom probably always knew that Tyson was a cyclops because she could see through the mist. Rachel Elizabeth Dare, her entrance, honestly, is it's iconic. Mm-hmm. I will give that to them. They had a nice little scene. I, 
I don't know. It's just the vibes were just off between them from the start. I, I don't know. I can never truly love that friendship. I really actually do love the friendship that does develop between Rachel and Annabeth, though. Um, <laughs> I can support that, okay? I can support girls loving girls, okay? But stay the fuck away from my OTP. Oh my God. Um, but however, I do want to give a little shout out to my main horse, Blackjack, who shows up in this book. In and a I big love way. Him. I love him. Blackjack is really funny. Like, he... I loved reading this book now as an adult and, like, having, like, a better understanding of, like, the New York accent as, like, comedy. You know what I mean? Because yeah. when I was a kid, I wasn't as, like, aware of it when I read these books. Yeah, boss. <laughs> boss. <laughs> but he's, like, he's perfectly written. And, like, it's perfect that he's, like, uh, Percy's, like, kind of steed for, like, the first, like, few chapters of this book. It's, like, really great. What's crazy to think about, though, is that um, if you actually think about it, like, basically after Rick decides he's going to diversify and everything, you have to start thinking about the accents. Like, Hazel has a New Orleans accent. Um, Annabeth has, like, you know, Middle America. Percy has... Why does Annabeth have Middle America? She's from Virginia, but then Virginia she isn't to... Middle America. Yeah, but she's basically like us. She's a mutt. Like, she goes yeah. to Virginia and then California. Like, she's been everywhere. Uh, that's um, true. And then Percy has New York. Piper and Jason got some Cali in them. Um, Nico would be Italian. Oh my god. Yeah. Italian Nico kills me. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. Raina well, honestly, be... I don't think the D'Angelo twins have Italian accents because other, like, otherwise it would have been talked about in the first book that they're introduced. Like, everyone would be like, why the fuck do you oh, have yeah, no, Italian I mean, accent? Either way, they might not have known how much time passed when they were in Lotus Casino, but it, regardless, it was obvious, if, if they ever had accents, that still would have been enough time for them to lose it. Yeah, I think they, I think they fully have American accents by the time they, like, leave the casino. But also, they were in America for a lot of it. They're, I mean, like, a, like oh, before the casino, they were in America as well. Well, yeah, aren't they, like, Italian-Americans? Yes, like, like <laughs> because their mom had an accent. They're Italianos. It is canon, I believe, that their mom did have an accent when yeah. you get that flashback um, in The Last Olympia. Oof. That, I'm oh, so that is so That's such that, a good flashback. And, I'm so angry that we don't get more well, Maria D'Angelo. The fact honestly. that, like, the D'Angelos are also tied into the, like, Castellans, which are also, which is also tied into, like, the, the Jacksons. The way it wraps up. Like, Sasha, we fuck? need, no, Sasha, we need to stop. We need to <laughs> save that for the last Olympian. It, it's, like, three separate rivers. It's not even, like, two rivers. It's, like, three. Like, the analogy used in one of our earlier episodes about how everything in the last Olympian, like, comes together. It's probably more than three. Yeah. There's so many loose ends that he just somehow fits perfectly. Ugh. <laughs> It's, Chef's kiss. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. But yeah, I mean, we have the whole scene at the, the Smithsonian where you basically see Luke, like, getting shit on, and then <laughs> they accidentally raise, like, the little saber-toothed tiger babies. Yeah, I kind of loved that scene. But, and then, that's when Percy gets outed, basically, for yeah. having gone rogue and been like, I'm gonna follow you across the country. Yeah. Which he literally follows them across the country, which I think that we just forget about, but, like, he went from New York to D.C. Like, that's not, that's not a short trip. Yeah. <laughs> he went all that way on his own, like, just on Blackjack's back. And it's like... Well, to be fair, Blackjack was doing most of the work there. <laughs> yes, Blackjack was doing most of the work, but also, it's kind of crazy he didn't run into, like, any monsters on the way. Yeah. I think he did run into maybe one or two, but he just got lucky, honestly. Well, he was in the air most of the time, so that helps. Yes, but also, 
He's not supposed to be in the air. Get your ass down from there. You know that's not safe. <laughs> you know that's not safe. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, Percy really doesn't actually join the quest until chapter 10. That's Which halfway, halfway through, the book. through the book. Yeah. Like, see, like, it's interesting because it's kind of like Sea of Monsters where the quest doesn't really start for Percy until halfway through the book. And it's honestly like that with Clarice. I think that's, I think it's just, I think Rick just kind of writes how he wants to write because in this first book, Trials of Apollo, I'm on page 205 and they have not started this damn quest. (laughs) They're only 360 pages. Oh my God. I'm running out of time, bro. I guess when you think about it, like a lot of the quests in these books do start like at the midpoint, basically, because- The Battle Labyrinth starts really early, I think. Oh, okay. Well, I'll keep track of it when I read. Yeah, when you read. And honestly, Lightning Thief- does it also starts later it does start later because he has to like he has to get acclimated to camp the last olympian is just like go 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 yeah well the whole thing is the quest yeah the whole thing is the prophecy so oh i can't wait but yeah i mean i think that we've gotten a lot of it of course there's the scene where he goes and meets that old sea titan god guy oh yeah the homeless guy the homeless guy who fucking makes a reappearance in heroes of olympus oh my god of course I, can we just take a minute to say I love these chapter titles too. The chapter titles give the series like such like a great like tone, like such an iconic flair. Yeah, I I saw this post the other day and it was basically like, yeah, the chapter titles are basically like those clickbaits that you see on YouTube that you press and you find out they're actually real. <laughs> because that's literally how every chapter is. Yeah. Like I put on a few million extra pounds. Yeah. Okay. I'm I hold the fucking sky. That's the <laughs> translation there. Yeah, I mean, we just got to take a second to talk about Persebeth, though. Okay. We already took a second we to talk about we gotta go back earlier in the We got to go podcast. back. Um, because I think that it's just like, I think the Athena stuff, honestly, is pretty fucking cool in this book. Do you even remember it? Like, towards the end? Yeah. I didn't read the book that long ago, Arden. I read it, like, last week. <laughs> but I just think that uh, it's cool, honestly, and you know, quite hypocritical, but also you wouldn't put it past them. These gods that are basically little absentee parents just randomly jumping in and being like, yeah, I actually don't approve of you being with my daughter. <laughs> but I only, I've only talked to her like twice. I think that's so funny. And then also, honestly, Zeus is such a jackass. He is such a jackass. Like the fact that he's like never there, but then suddenly she does something good and he's like, okay, I guess I'll clean you now. Yeah. It's okay. Well, yeah, he's like, he's, like, never there, and he's like, oh, my God, she's dying. Well, I guess I'll turn her into a tree. And then it's like... I mean, he could have just let her die, though. So I think the tree is better than dying, but... Yeah, but my point is that, like, he didn't, like, intervene at any point prior to that. And then... Yes, but Poseidon never really intervenes when Percy's on the verge of death. And Percy's, exactly, like, always on the verge also, of like, death. Which is also, like, shady behavior. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of realistic, too, because... Well, Arden, like, I feel like if you're talking about absentee parents, you should take into account the points where they're absent <laughs> as being, No, like, but not I'm good. saying it's realistic that it's, like, normal parents wouldn't be able to save you from those types of things. Yeah, but the whole point is that their parents are gods. <laughs> and their parents I have guess. the power to intervene but choose not to. Like, that's what's frustrating, I think. And, like, that's what frustrates Luke, like, specifically. Like, that's his grievance with the Thalia tree thing, is that it's, like, our parents have the power to intervene and to make our lives better and they choose not to time and time again. Honestly, I wonder if the main reason, I mean, I think the main reason for, you know, Luke's demise and all <laughs> the shit that he did was because of, you know, ultimately Hermes. Hermes. Um, it, it comes back to the Hermes. It always comes back to Hermes. But also, I think that after this book, 
um, it sort of glossed over the fact that she was turned into a fucking tree. And, <laughs> like, he doesn't really list that explicitly as, like, a reason or anything like yeah. that. But, I mean, I think that that was probably the last straw. I think, like, Or Thalia, honestly, probably that quest that he went on. I think the quest was the last straw. Because he basically says as much when, because that's, like, the first point he really brings up when he argues with Yeah, Percy. doesn't he bring that up in Lightning Thief? Lightning Thief, yeah. Like, that's, like, part of his manifesto at the end. But I think for him as a kid being 14 and coming to camp and like having gone through everything, just barely made it to camp, none of their parents were helping them at any point in the way. And then the only intervention Zeus will do in their favor is to like just turn Thali into a tree. I think for Luke as like a 14 year old, that's emotionally one of the earliest things for him that probably like radicalizes him against Olympus. Like, because yes, like I understand what you're saying. We're like preserving Thalia as a tree is like better than just letting her die but emotionally for luke it's like it doesn't matter like either way thali is no longer in his life you know what i mean but he also had the opportunity for her to be in his life again and he he done fucked it up so well yeah but i'm talking about when he's 14 not when he's 21 like That's i'm talking about crazy how he the feels ways the gap, when that happens the gap between like when all this shit happened like the fact that this all happened when he was like 14 but then when we first meet him he's already 19 yeah no, exactly. Like, that's what I'm saying is that, like, I think a lot of that stuff was just brewing. Like, basically the idea is that, like, when Percy, Percy starts to, like, become, like, a tool of the gods for good, like, when he's 12. But, like, Luke, by the time he's 14, already has a lot of emotional baggage that just, like, sits inside of him. And there's clearly no one who will, like, talk to him. About, like, he, like, there's clearly no one that's going to help him with that. And I don't think we know what age he gets the quest from Hermes to go and get the apples. I think that's, like, completely left open. Like, I have no idea where I would even guess. But I feel like, like they might have said, like, last year or something. Oh, that would have been good, honestly. Like, I don't know if that's true. Like, I would, I want to look into it now that I think about it. But, like, it would be nice, I think, if, like, that happened when he was 18 and then that, like, that was the breaking point. He was like, no. Like, I'm Yeah, <laughs> I also think that it's just really, honestly... Why the fuck is he even still at camp as a 19-year-old? But, um... Well, they don't have anywhere to go. That's true. He's, like, probably effectively homeless if he leaves camp. I just think, like, he was literally... He was, like, head counselor, bro. He was... He was he top was notch. There. He was he was king like a of the, He was student. king of the mountain. And he was just like, nah, I gotta betray you all now. <laughs> but I do think that it's, like, choosing the age 19 was, um... I mean, I don't think the age really mattered, but 19 yeah. was basically like, the oldest that Rick could have gone. Yeah, without him being, like, a full adult. adult. Yes, because at some Percy. point, like, I think Camp Half-Blood, basically the way it works is, like, 20 is, like, you gotta, you gotta sort of get on your own. Well, I think the idea is that once you hit a certain point of adulthood, you basically you've survived, you become a counselor. Like, I think once you've hit a certain point, the idea is that, like, then you go out into the normal world and the monsters stop following you. Like, I think that's the idea in The Lightning Thief. Like, if Half-Blood survived to adulthood, they be, they go on to do great things. But the problem is that a lot of them don't survive to adulthood. You know what I mean? But Luke is the oldest count. Uh, he's the oldest camper, to my knowledge, that we ever encounter. Yeah, that's why I'm saying. That's why I'm like... And he wasn't even specifically called, like, a counselor. He was called, like, a camper. He was called a camper. And <laughs> I was like, you're a 19-year-old camper, bro. That's where he really went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's Honestly, where this if I was out. him, I would be pissed. I would be like, how am I not promoted yet to fucking count? Like, because, let's be real, he was a counselor. Like, no, he was. He was like, a counselor. He was, he was the one teaching the sword fighting class. Yeah, he was straight up a counselor. I want to know if they were, like, paying him. 
mean, obviously he they was should... he was head of Hermes. Hermes, Kevin, yeah. But he should have been head of the entire fucking camp by then. Honestly, honestly. he should have been like a co-director or something, like. You know what I mean? Like, he, or director of, like, certain activities. Or he could or have like just been activities Camper director. affairs or, like, something like Because, like, Kyron is technically activities director, but, like, he's really just director. And then Dionysus is, like, figurehead. And then <laughs> he could have been activities director. Luke could have. Yeah. Well, I guess, like, I will say the activities director thing probably involves a lot of scheduling and shit like that that we don't see on the page. But, like, that's why I'm, like, Luke. He could have handled it, you know, his father is. Not shit to do. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I feel like Luke would have been better as, like, a the camper, di- like, director or something like that. You know what I mean? Since he was once a camper himself and is basically still a camper now. Well, yeah, and he <laughs> basically, like, age. sorted them all into their houses in a way. Yeah, like, he he's the one who takes in all the campers whose parents don't claim them and, like, helps them, like, adjust to camp. And then when their parents do claim them, he sees them on their merry way to their new beginning. I do think it's kind of crazy, though, that it's just, like, the age gap between him and Percy. It is really crazy, because it's, it's seven years. And yeah. it's the same as Annabeth and um, Luke as well. And, like, uh, I, don't worry. I think that's crazy as well. Yeah. I think that is a little psychotic type crazy, but that is crazy. <laughs> because I think a lot of times, like, villains are usually, like, cri- like, in books where the main characters are, like, kids or teenagers, the villains are usually, like, 20 years older than yeah them, like you know Voldemort I mean? like Voldemort or like President Snow or yeah. I'm trying to think of other examples like in the Divergent world like it's always like you know like bureaucrats like it's basically adults, you know like well wait who was the one you said before President Snow Voldemort yes here comes my point basically it's always like old white people that don't want to adjust to new ideologies and don't like the idea of a fucking revolution that would you know, like, industrialize and further civilization as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I don't really see how Voldemort fits that criteria other than being a white guy, but I get what you mean. It certainly fits into snow. And well, then that Corrine. was my point. It's just that Voldemort's white. Or just oh. find it funny. Oh. <laughs> just that that's, like, a, that's a continuous thread, honestly. <laughs> yeah, is that a lot of the, like, villains are white for the most part. I mean, I don't think it's really, like, connected that deeply. Well, I just um, think it's, like, because all most the characters of the characters are white, white yeah. so the villains just happen to be white. Like, yeah. Is Voldemort ever said specifically in the book to be white? Yeah, I mean, his face is described as being, like, white and pale, like, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's, like, their go-to, honestly. Yeah. Like, any villain is just, like, pale as fuck. I know, except for Luke, who has, like, a tan. Like, you know what I mean? He has, like, a California tan. Like, Percy, like, talks about, like, his Yeah, tans but by this like, book, isn't he, t- isn't he pale as fuck? I feel like he becomes pale as fuck just because his life starts to suck even worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, like, things this entire are book, bad. the funny thing is, in this entire book, they're basically in California, most of it. it and yeah, it's are. all, it's all just dull and dreary and depressing. I know, it's not very lively. It's, it's not the Cali vibe. Not the, this is, this book, in California, it does not have a Cali vibe. No, there are no such thing as California girls here. Okay? <laughs> no such thing. Honestly, make that I guess title. No such thing as California girls. I guess Zoe is the closest they come, like, aesthetically. Like, the hunters kind of have, like, a Cali girl. Because they're kind of, like, eternally young. Like, they have, like, tans. They go camping. They go camping. They're outdoorsy. Yeah, but, but they're so heavily associated with winter and they, snow. They are. They are very heavily associated with And they're kind of uptight, too, it, so. They are uptight. They <laughs> only talk to each other. They're very exclusive, which, honestly, Cali girls are probably pretty exclusive. Yeah. But, I mean... 
there just comes a point when the vibe of the book does not fit California. It doesn't. Which I don't think Maybe is a Canada. bad thing. I don't think it's Alaska. a bad thing. It's just, it's what it is. Honestly, it would have been kind of cool if it was in Alaska or something. I know. That would have been cool. Well, because there's like a crazy big mountain in Alaska also. That could have easily have been where. Uh, like, where don't worry. I know. Because the... they bring it up in Heroes of Olympus. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. In Heroes of Olympus, they He basically to takes all of his opportunities. He's like, ah, darn, missed that. And he just plops it into his other series. I know. I want to know like what the process for writing, for like brain. That's probably why he had Heroes of Olympus out so fast. Like one of the reasons was just because he was like, all right, all of the things I didn't do. I'm just going to take them and throw them here. <laughs> yeah, that's why I brought up that one post that, like, showed all the monsters that he had not included in the PJO series. And then I was like, wait, they are all in Heroes of Olympus. Like, did he see this post? Did he see it? Because he said copy-paste. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, go him. Because he he did make Fair sure... Enough, to, he man. made sure to get, like, basically 90% of Greek mythology in here. Yeah. It's One true. way or another. <laughs> he, he's a smart guy. He is. He is. But... I don't think I have anything else to talk about. I mean, I could go on for a fucking I don't think so either. I mean, like, we could revisit the classics. Percy, Luke, Annabeth. Like, you know, we could talk all day about those characters. But I think, like... Honestly, I feel like we didn't even talk about Percy that much in this book. We talked We talked a decent well, amount about, like, his arc and, and, you know, how he learns and his relationship with women and stuff like that. So, like, we did cover Percy pretty well, but... Or towards the end when he, like, almost has a panic attack when he thinks Annabeth's going to join the Hunters. Oh, my God. That, like, like, does kill he's me. He's like, no, no. He's like, oh, I can't he's like, breathe. He's like, oh, my God, I have to tell you something. Yeah. And he's like, I yeah. can't breathe. And Annabeth is like, what the fuck is going on with you? No, Annabeth's like, what's wrong? And then Thalia goes up and he's like, oh, nothing. Nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> so funny. Also, because Annabeth's, like, barely in this book. And it's just, like, the time that they do have together in this book, it's... So it, they're so key for the Percibeth, yeah. like, formation. It's very true. Like, the moments they do have together, like, are, like, very heavily, like, romantic, basically. Yeah, because they have a dance at the beginning, they have a dance at the end, they have the Athena parts, and then they have that. And they mm -hmm. have, like, his whole... And the dreams. Yeah, and the dreams, and then him, like, basically going on this quest only for her. Like, he never really thinks about, like, I gotta save Artemis. No, it's true. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> like, yeah, Grover, Grover's like, I gotta save both. And then the hunters are like, I gotta save Artemis. And yeah. then he's like, Annabeth. And Artemis is like, I have to save Annabeth and figure out what the fuck is going on with this monster thing. Like, Artemis yeah. does want to save Annabeth. Like, that is, like, a part of her motivation. But Which, actually, what was she tracking the entire time? Bessie. What? That's what I thought. My main man, Bessie. <laughs> the fact that Bessie is a boy! I know. The most humorous parts of this book for me, I remember laughing out loud, kind of, like, while I was reading them and you looked over at me, was when they're talking Damn. about the sacrifice stuff and, like, all of the background on, like, how Bessie like, factors into the war. And, like, and he Bessie, doesn't like, like <laughs> he doesn't like the S word, the S word being sacrifice. And then they mention entrails, and then Grover's like, he doesn't really like the entrails discussions either. Like, that part, like, gets me so bad. <laughs> what I do love, though, is that basically there's always a character in this book that can understand animals. Like, mm -hmm. Percy can understand horses. Grover can't understand horses, but Grover can understand, like, any forest any, animal. Any dog, Yeah, usually. and he can understand a lot of sea animals. Um, so between the two of them, they basically have, like, every fucking thing. Yeah. And then you get, you get Frank introduced, and he can literally become any animal he wants. Yeah. Like, I just, Which I is do, cool. yeah. And I then do. Tyson can understand certain animals that, like, I feel like Percy can't, right? Like. Yes, basically anything that Percy can't do is made up through his friends. 
<laughs> like, they basically create Percy into, like, an aggregate. <laughs> more powerful than, even, like, Hercules. Because when you combine all that together, like, you just have basically god-type shit. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Well, I, don't I guess know it makes sense because all the demigods have, like, divided powers from their parents, right? Yeah, and if you put all the powers of the gods together, you basically have god. A god, yeah. Yeah. Like, god. <laughs> Except that, you know, these gods can technically die. Yeah. Well, they. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what happened with. Never mind. We'll talk about that next book. Um, with Pan? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oof, that Pan scene's gonna hit me so hard, man. That Ro- shit, like, Rover's, is gonna make me emotional. Rover's sadness seeped into my soul. God, I already have so much shit I want to say about that Pan scene, like, right now. Like, not even having read it, but just thinking about it, like, thematically and shit. So, like, we do have to, like, I think call it a day here. Because otherwise, like, I will start talking about the Pan stuff. Like, Oh, man, Pan. I know. Oh, Ugh. my gosh. Yeah, I mean, did anything else happen with Luke? <laughs> Basically. No, just to make sure we cover our bases and, like, when we get to Last Olympian, we're like, okay, we really we have it we all understand, how, like, how it chronologically happened. Because Annabeth, I don't think we're yeah. missing that much because she wasn't in it that much. Yeah. I think some of the big things for Luke in this book are a reluctance to kill Thalia and, like, a reluctance to kill Annabeth, which will tie into the whole, like, family part of The Last Olympian. He's always desperate to get Thalia on, like, rejoining the team, which is, again, tied into that. But the other thing is that when he finds out that the Atlas thing, whatever, and the Bessie-Thalia thing is, like, not gonna pan out, He's, like, really nervous about that, and he, like, he has, like, a secret, like, basically, Luke knows that the second plan, I think, is for, I don't know if he knows that the River Styx is a part of it yet, but he knows that it's Kronos inhabiting his body. I think that's kind of what we see here. Well, and what he, was that the first plan? Would Kronos have inhabited her body? No, the plan was just that Thalia, by sacrificing the entrails and then, like, deciding to take down Olympus, Kronos, I think, was just going to fully form, like, and, like, rejoin. Like, I don't think the, Uh... I don't think the plan was ever that, I think, like, Kronos taking over a demigod's body was always, was always the backup plan because it makes him so much less powerful than if he just comes resurrected as is, you know what I mean? That would have been cool to see, honestly. It would have, but I like the way they did it. And, like, I like, like, when it sets up what is kind of set up with Luke in this book is that he's, like, scared of that reality. He's scared of losing himself completely to Kronos. I and mean, of giving think, himself completely over as a tool. Yeah, and I think, because you which really do, you so. see his fear in this book, and Kronos isn't even there it, yet. Which sets that's up the big last, thing. Which sets up Last Olympian when, like, that final scene where he's like, bro, he's so powerful, like, you have to, you have to let me kill myself because he's too powerful for yeah. me to, like, withstand this. But also, just, like, the family ties. You can tell that he really is struggling to get rid of those because he convinces Atlas to let Annabeth live Mm -hmm. because he's like, no, like, she'll come in use later when they come for her. Like, she'll come in use. When really, she didn't, like... They were coming for Artemis regardless of whether or not Annabeth was there. Yes. They... Annabeth was Percy's reason, but she wasn't the sole reason, Mm -hmm. nor the other's reason. And also, Thalia, like... I don't know who would have won toe-to-toe with them, but I don't think that his heart was fully in it. I agree. I agree. But Thalia did not hesitate. No. Thalia did she not hesitate. She off a cliff. Yes. But that also <laughs> is like, shit. how did he survive? Because that right there is some king shit, honestly. Yeah. Well, I don't know if, like, I... 
he must not have had the river sticks thing at that point in time. Like, I don't... Cause no, he didn't. He got it in Battle of Labyrinth. Yeah. So, like, I think maybe the idea is just that, like, he survives because he has to for the story. You know what I mean? But there's some sort of, like, magic explanation. Like, someone gives him a power or something like that. Like, you get what I mean? Like... Yeah, I don't think there really is any, like, rhyme or reason to it, but also... Just how? He just can't die that way. Like, he just, like, it's not... Okay, but Sasha, he, he, he literally had to have. Because the cliff was, like, miles up. I know. <laughs> King shit. <laughs> like, this is basically, like, that whole Percy jumping from the Gateway Arch. Yeah. To the river that was, like, hundreds of feet. Away. Yeah. Like, how are you... But this is even worse. This is worse because Luke, to our knowledge, has no sort of healing powers. Luke I mean, doesn't like, even have powers. Luke... <laughs> it's true. Like, like you could come... Like, this is my thing. I could sit down. I could write a list of, like, reasons. Reasons how Luke Castellan survives the fall. But, like, none of them would have any basis in canon. You know what I mean? Like, I could be, like, number one. Um, Hermes, like, sends down, like, something to, like, save him. Okay, two. He... Hermes wouldn't do that. But this is what I'm, this is what I'm saying. Like, I could come up with a bunch of random reasons for him to have survived, but none of them have any factual, canonical basis. I think that the most plausible reason would be if there was water underneath him, and he just happened to get lucky. I and... think the idea is that maybe, yeah, he just got lucky. <laughs> but... This would only be plausible if there was water, but I don't think there's ever, like, specifically stated no. there's water underneath there. I think that you're mainly, like, I think that it's land. And yeah. it's like, that is impossible. Water is, like, pr- pr- basically impossible, but land, impossible. Impossible, yeah. Well, that's why, I'm like, there mu- he just had to have, he must have just had some sort of magic protection from, like, the Titan arm, like, monster army. Like, like Sasha, if, if we jumped out this window right now... I'm not arguing with you about it. I agree. I'm just saying for it, if you want an explanation, I can give you an explanation. But also, it just won't be like I don't even know if the curse of Achilles would have saved him from that because there are ways for you to die with the curse of Achilles. Like you can be poisoned, you can be burned alive. Like there are many things that you like. I think that it really just has to do with like in battle, like weapons. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that gets into another thing that this is the first book that like shows Luke in a position where he is extremely vulnerable. Like Luke in those first two books is basically like kind of on top of the world from Percy's yeah. eyes in terms of like he's like this god tier camper counselor hybrid and then like he's a god tier enemy. Like he's like an antagonist who can't be beat. And then in this book He's clearly he's been human. humbled. He's he's much more humanized, both in his relationships with Thalia and Annabeth, in the pain he's personally experiencing, and I think at the end, the survival of the cliff is almost like a flip side of that, where Percy's realizing this guy is both more human than I thought and more supernatural, because he's doing these kinds of impossible things. Which, honestly, like, it's not that crazy when you think about Percy surviving the eruption of Mount St. Helens and, yeah. you know, all the other shit Percy survives that you're like, he shouldn't have. But the reason that I allow that is because he's Percy motherfucking Jackson and he has powers. So at least there's, like, a little bit of a reason there. Yeah. But Luke has no powers, so it doesn't make <laughs> sense. But um, I do think that it's, the ending is really funny where Annabeth's just like, he's alive. 
Like, he's alive. He is. And he Percy's is like, no, there's no way he survived that. And Percy's, like, internally, like, I want him to be dead, so I don't have to worry about competition. <laughs> and then Annabeth's like, no, he is alive. And then she starts getting really fed up and really annoyed, and then Percy's like, chill out, chill out, it's fine, he's alive, okay, we'll let him be alive. And then he ends up being alive, and Percy's like, god fucking damn it. <laughs> he's like, not again. Yeah, he's literally like, how many times do I have to hope this guy dies? How many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? <laughs> is literally Percy at Luke every book. But also, I think that Percy is doing that at Annabeth too, because he's like, how many times do you have to get fucked over? Yeah. In order to realize, me, me. <laughs> Like, what's that one... Taylor's well, it's not even about Taylor's Percy, I, like, wanting Annabeth. I think some of it is just that he feels, like, bad that, like, she has an attachment to someone who he sees as, as, like, clearly not caring about her. Like, I don't even think it's necessarily a competition thing. I just think he cares about her as a person and is, like, frustrated by the fact that she's so attached to someone who doesn't, like, care about her through Percy's But that's eyes. where it gets... That's where the gray area comes in because Luke does care about her. It's true. But and Luke that's what is... Annabeth understands. Like, Annabeth is both misled at certain points, but she's right that Luke still does have she's an attachment always right. to her. She's like, always right. She's like, always that right. is true. And in these first three books, it's a specific platonic attachment. We're about to see how that evolves in a very strange, weird way. That Bro, I don't the totally way it starts get. evolving in Battle of the Labyrinth is so funny to me. It's like very. I don't know if like Rick like changed his mind halfway through or like if that was always planned. It's very baffling to me. I'm interested to read Battle of the Labyrinth and see how I feel about it after that. But because like at the end of the series, like Luke does like admit to loving Annabeth, and it's like when he admits it, like it's supposed to be kind of in romantic terms, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but like he's just like, "Did you ever love me?" And she's like, "Yeah, I love you, but not like that." Yeah, which is weird to me because I always got the impression in those fir- in the first three books that he only ever loved her as a sister. You know what I mean? Like, and in the first book, he even treats her that way. Like, he treats her, like, very Yeah, like, he, like, sisterly. fucking, like, pats her on the head and shit. Yeah. Which like, is it's why the- it's weird to me that Rick decides to make it romantic in the last, like, Well, it also makes no side. sense. It and, just like, doesn't really it's just even sense. worse because, like, by this book, he's 21. Yeah. Honestly, I think 21 and 15 is better than 19 and 13 because that's, like, prepubescent. But they're, they're basically the same <laughs> they're thing. They're basically the same thing. It's just... Um, moved a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's just, like, at least she's a little bit more mature at that point. And yeah, when but she's still a kid. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. He's crazy. Yeah. But. Well, um, I'm, like, that part of the book, I'm, like, I simply do not. No, yeah, you're, like, this is my uh, main squeeze right here, and we're just gonna ignore this. <laughs> we're just gonna be, like, this was Rick. Uh, this was Well, because Mr. I, I just don't understand how it's written. If I understand how it's written this go-around, maybe. Like, if I come away with some sort of clarity, maybe my opinions will change. But, but it's honestly, just a bizarre way to... I, I think it's just a bizarre way to link the two. That doesn't really work. I didn't... There wasn't much clarity the second time I read it. However, it is... I think the second time you read it, it's a little bit more subtle than the first time that I read it. Like, the first time I read it, I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Yeah. But this time I was just like, oh, whatever, next page. Yeah. Um, but I really don't think that he had... A reason. I think that he just like was like, mm, maybe this will be interesting. Spice things up a little bit. Yeah. Well, basically, Sally is out of the picture at that point. But too. also, Percy is literally crushing every girl's heart left and right. And like, I feel like he had to give Annabeth a rival. But he had to give yeah. Annabeth at least another option. Yeah. Because so far, it's like Annabeth doesn't have an option. Percy has yeah. a million options in every aspect of his life, like not even romantic. But Annabeth's just like, I'm along for the ride. 
Yeah. So it does help her character development. It's a very compli- it's very complicated. I'm interested to see how it all pans out yeah. on the reread. But I think that is basically the podcast. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Yeah.